Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Running Motorsport Magazine Show Midweek Motorsport News, Features, Special Guests and Analysis from the Experts Formula One Sports Car and Endurance Racing Rallying, Touring Cars and Bikes If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score It's on Midweek Motorsport Good evening, everybody, and it is just after 8 o'clock in the evening UK time. Good to have your company. Uh, delighted to say that uh, we are back with you for Series 15, Episode 9 of Midweek Motorsport. Uh, no Tim Gray tonight, so it's Kerry back in London who is making sure that we go out to the world and on a packed programme tonight, we have some of the usual features. Uh, before we get to our top story, uh, let me do the usual and uh, go through the parish notices. Uh, where are we? Let's go to Twitter here. Sorry, Timmy, things open on the computer uh, today. Hello to Neil Gardner, who's got AFA's... Uh, he's at the King Power Stadium for the first time watching his beloved uh, Leicester City. The last time I saw them, they beat Bournemouth 2-1 at Filbert Street. Oh my goodness, how long ago was that, Neil? Anyway, I'll even have a chair to sit on. Have a great show. Looking forward to the uh, looking forward to the podcast. Uh, and the podcast will be up as uh, quick as humanly possible uh, this evening. Uh, Gonzo gave me a French lesson this week Très bon only applies to food Très bien to other situations uh, Duly noted Absolutely And that's all good uh, The Real Shim Glakey uh, Talking about The financial ramifications Of our top story tonight Which is coming at the minute uh, Don't forget the tonic water Says Neil Bourne, James Atkinson Wednesday already no EFAs for Brody, who's in the house tonight. Next up, Sebring. Rob Chalmers, early EFAs tonight, busy trying to sell his kidneys on the back market so he can go racing. I saw that earlier in the week. Um, uh, well done for trying to be sensible and ensure the race car. Uh, 500 nod quid to ensure a six grand race car with a 1500 excess. That does seem a bit excessive to me. But I suppose that's why insurance is called insurance. Hello to Steve Tadman uh, and to the Angry Pothole who's looking forward to the podcast and hearing opinion on FIA and Ferrari issue. Really? Juan Carlo Fisichella, uh, Fisichella, uh, is in class at the moment, so we'll catch the podcast. Chris Smith says, any clues to the IMSA announcement you've been talking about? It's, um, it's about IMSA. And it's an announcement, is all I can say. Uh, Jean Sauvé says, the F1 media machine dreaming up more gates to stay relevant. Well, only 17 days left to the NLS. Sorry, VLN round one. Anyone excited, yes? Yes, we are, all of us. Ian Rogers says, uh, EFA's as back home in Dubai this week, set to 
retain our UAE Sports Bike Championship title this weekend uh, on Friday at the Dubai Autodrome. Ian Rogers, congratulations on that and good luck for the uh, title run at the Dubai Autodrome. Uh, hello to Wicker Bill uh, and to Dave Alcock. Uh, he says, uh, looking forward to tonight. Sounds like Radio Le Mans has had the industrial content shoehorn out again to fit everything in tonight's show. Looking to my midweek motorsport sanity reset. Um, our condolences to Spooner in Orange. Uh, looking after the family at the moment after the loss of uh, their mum. Spooner in Orange, uh, our hearts go out to you, mate. Uh, he, very, very kind words uh, about uh, how much solace and escape you provide the listeners. We provide the listeners. Several times, he says, your motorsport counselling has been the per- perfect mental health work workout. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Um, we've, sadly, in the Hindhoff household, we've uh, lost a couple of our parents in the, the last 18 months and uh, even I have got none left now so we're going to have to find some others but we feel your pain in all seriousness I'm trying to make light of it for, for all of us uh, so Spooner when you listen to this thanks for all you do out on the track and best of luck to you and the family uh, and hello to Kevin to Dave England popcorn on hand uh, for Nick Damon tonight um, I'm, I'll certainly be around he says for the first 10 minutes and then I'll catch the uh, podcast. Hello to Chris Dawes who's listening in tonight. Commentator extraordinaire. Uh, Chris Smith, Carol Brink, uh, who's tuned in. But of course, it's the uh, San Diego Padres against the Royals this afternoon. So she'll be watching in that as well. No AFAs for Jonathan Mains, who's uh, getting his marshalling kit together for a training day at Prescott Hill Climb on Saturday uh, and Oliver Giles Olivier Gilles no apologies for tonight uh, looking forward to RC Racing's expert off script and entertaining views on this week's F1 news well you've built them up haven't you uh, first time after 8 years listening to the podcast I'm going to be listening live whilst on a train home says Beardy John John welcome to the live show I hope the connection in every sense of the word both uh, physical on the train and um, over the air on your Wi-Fi is uh, working well. Uh, Serafina is tuned in uh, with the race cat. Hello, Serafina. That's a new name uh, on the collective. Uh, right turn lover, uh, at least. Formula One found a nicer way to phrase their essentials than MotoGP. Yes, indeed. Uh, Curry Cobb is... Uh, in London and she's been tweeting for us as well tonight Gufflemon no AFAs uh, dissecting the Ferrari letter this evening looking forward to that David Two Brews Chris Suku uh, no AFAs tonight a bit of faffing in the study going on Victor Ellis uh, listening on a raining Atlanta afternoon and then waiting for the Ellis girls to get out of school no ballet no lacrosse both girls on the injured list we'll have to wait a few more weeks for that first goal share slow pass uh, research proposal due today, listening to the podcast. Chris Ring, missed a few weeks without AFAs. I beg forgiveness, but now back every week until mid-June. Uh, what Will you be discussing what impact the health worries are having on motorsport events? We're going to have the responsible adults to talk about that uh, tonight. Michael Barrenswad, thank you for uh, the continued updates on Zandvoort. And no AFAs to get for him either. Moni is tuning in and counting down to Super 
Sebring, Ted the Toyman, Right Turn Lover, uh, and uh, Patrick Dron, Jeff Easterling as well, uh, Alexander Sagas. Jeff Easterling says, would love to know what the Midweek Motorsport crew's favourite racing sims are. Uh, listening tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, the Torah Radio Show. It's a big Thursday tomorrow uh, because we have got not just the Torah, but also uh, the next edition of On The Grid with Creelsey. We'll have Creelsey to talk a little bit about that uh, later on. Alexander Sagas is listening from the Dales. Uh, and I think it's about time to say hi to David Faulkner, listening from Gippsland, Victoria. He says his uh, bike got him there. Uh, and Sarah Rigby's on. So is Dave Alcock. So is Jesse. Let's have the... Uh, let's have the news jingle and our top news story of the week. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And as the news jingle fades gently into the distance, uh, let's say uh, that our top story tonight uh, requires us to have Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent, because our top story is indeed Formula One. Yes, it is. In all its political glory. Fantastic. Now, this is all about the um, story that you were all over at the end of, well, the middle of last year. Uh, We had oil burning gate with Ferrari and uh, Mercedes as well, to a certain extent. Then we had fuel flow problems. When you get to a certain age, you do get flow problems. But this was excess rather than not enough from Ferrari. Now, that was being looked into. You talked about it at the time. And if I may reprise that quickly, that was basically they'd been getting around uh, and effectively over-boosting the fuel flow, but using a very, very sophisticated way so that it didn't trip the fuel flow sensor. Is that about right? Apart from the fact that you said they had been doing it. Right. Because the point is, there's no proof. Right. Um, the basic, the bare facts are it, that the Ferrari last year was always quick on a straight. Mm-hmm. And that was claimed because it was down It was down on drag. The other teams all said that certainly towards after summer break, they had the equivalent of a 40 horsepower advantage. Um, on an en- on a, on a, in a mature engine form they've been running for six years and everyone was going that seems a bit fishy where's this come from uh, and a good example was that uh, Lewis Hamilton couldn't actually overtake uh, Charles Leclerc at Monza with DRS and a slipstream mm. they, had, they had that much go now um, effectively what happened was at that point the all the teams suspected that something was amiss and so all the clever people in the team stopped thinking about ways that they could bend the rules and started thinking about the ways Ferrari might have bent the rules and started asking questions, probably things they thought of before and then gone, nah, that's never going to work. And the two main ones were, as you're absolutely right to say, John, it's basically tricking the fuel flow sensor. There's a maximum fuel flow of 100 kilograms an hour but that's not measured the whole time. It's not like a little whirly water wheel in the fuel supply, which is spinning <laughs> around at a certain speed. If oh, I tell you what, though, I love that idea. Like one of those. Do you remember those um, sight glasses that you used to have on old petrol yes. pumps? Oh yes, absolutely. Anyway, well, they're probably more reliable than ever now. Um, so basically, the, the thing about the fuel flow fence is it takes a reading at set intervals. 
And the FIA um, reads it, those set intervals, and the teams get the same information. Because obviously, they, they don't want to overfuel the car, because I think that's happened to Danny Ricardo. I think, mm-hmm. in one of, the, one of his early races. They get, get kicked out for that. There was a rumour, a concept, a concept that was some very clever trickery. You could effectively uh, sort of uh, kind of like sine wave the pulses. So when the fuel flowed to, when the fuel was being measured, it was being measured at 100, but you would then briefly pulse it above 100 when it wasn't being measured. So effectively, the idea is you get more fuel by being very, very clever by gaming the uh, fuel flow sensor. So basically, now, when the fuel flow no wasn't looking. So basically, what you're saying is, it, it's like if you think of the fuel flow sensor as a CCTV camera that is moving backwards and forwards, looking at a part of the car park. So basically, Ferrari's fuel was running across the car park on the right-hand side when the Flicking camera the was looking at the left. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, whilst it wasn't, that, whilst the fuel flow my... sensor wasn't looking, you were feeding more fuel. Uh, that's what could possibly potentially happen. Right. We, we don't know. Uh, so uh, that's now, the way you get extra power. Right. Now the, the, so the what happened after that was that the FIA, uh, having been bearded by one or two other teams, although it would appear that nobody actually formally um, made a protest. No, no, because no, what, what, what basically happens is is that there's a kind of a halfway house to protest. Yes. Where you say, if I was doing this, would that be allowed? And... The FI went, oh, we hadn't thought of that. And no, that wouldn't be allowed. So, so at that point, something which was theoretically grey, though we'll get on to that, becomes definitely no. So they said, they uh, put out point, an edict, a technical bulletin that effectively says, um, for the avoidance of doubt, if anybody was doing this, it wouldn't be allowed. Exactly, and you'd be in big trouble. Right. So that was the first thing. The second thing was... Um, as you know, we've been talking about oil burn since I think the second year of the hybrid regulations, because what the teams found was by lobbing some oil into the to the the mix. Obviously, as I said before, the the maximum power is limited by the maximum amount of fuel you can get in, and once you've reached that maximum amount of fuel, you can get no more power. Hence, the reason that the engines which are allowed to I think rev in the rules, I think um, I think fifteen thousand, go much above twelve and a half because there's just not enough fuel to do it. So at that point, bugging anything you can burn in, and racing oil is much more, much thinner, and much more combustible than um, commercially available oils. Then you get extra power. So, so we've had these various edicts: reduce the amount of oil you're allowed to burn, reduce the amount of oil you're allowed to burn. And in fact, again, again this year it's down another fifty percent for 2020. But uniquely, the Ferrari engine used an oil cooled intercooler and the intercooler is the effectively the air radiator that cools down the incoming air into the engine to make it more dense to get more power so they were able to get that but, but what they were saying was that the there was a, a deliberate leak from the intercooler which was weeping um you know weeping oil into the engine intake and giving them a bit of a boost of power and that's you know, quite easy to do um you know, and then you can and you can make it happen. So it only happens at a certain time. Right. Okay. And that was also said. And somebody also said, "Is that legal?" And it was said no. So, right. So you've so you've those things said no. Yeah. So you've 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 got both of these technical bulletins that clarify the situation. Now, yes. in the meanwhile, and announced at the very end of the final day of testing well, at I'll, Barcelona. You're skip, skipping something now, John. Right. Okay. It's go quite on. important. Go on. Because all we had was supposition. Supp- position and rumour and obviously F1 loves a bit something but unfortunately what happened apparently just out of coincidence and potentially a new aerodynamic solution was as soon as these edicts came out Ferrari lost their advantage yes 
Um, not not still, Mexico in particular. They still were a tiny bit quicker because they did have a low drag solution, but this massive advantage they had, especially in qualifying, disappeared. So, you know, we, we, we all love to, to put two, two together and come up with four, and therefore it appears to the layman that what happened was that they had been rumbled, but obviously it's hard to prove these things, and they'd taken steps not to be doing it, and they'd lost their advantage. And we ended the season with... The FIA say we've taken the we've taken their engine apart hundreds of times. We found nothing wrong with it, you know, and that's it. And so a line was drawn under everything until last Friday, John. When I was watching the final day of uh, free uh, pre-season practice, which was all six days down from eight uh, last year, of course, uh, but all six days were televised, and I actually found it terribly, terribly entertaining. I really did. I thoroughly enjoyed it, exactly the way we would have done it. And there was a good lot of cross-talk. There was a lot of laughs. And uh, even your favourite uh, assistant deputy uh, interim team principal, uh, Claire Williams, was on there, and she was very good and very funny. Yeah, she was, I heard her. She was very good. Yeah, she she said, her, I, I was surprised she didn't say hello to you. Mind, but uh, you know, never well, mind. You know, you uh-huh. I have nothing against the personal points. So out, out comes this uh, this uh, communication right at the end of that about uh, an investigation that's been going on uh, into uh, various parts of the uh, Ferrari car and engine, and uh, the investigation has come to a conclusion, which when and I'm absolutely paraphrasing this, I haven't got it up in front of me from the FIA side. Uh, we've concluded our investigation, but we're not going to tell anybody what we found. Uh, we've come to an arrangement and an agreement with Ferrari, and we're not going to tell you about that either. And that's the end of the matter. Yes, near enough. But Ferrari are going to are going to cooperate with us and tell us how uh, and and help us going forward. But we're not saying how they're going to do that. Uh, and they're not going to. And we're not going to say what they're going to tell us about what it was that they were doing or not doing. And uh, you get the idea. Uh, yeah. You get the idea. So that was was that last Friday? Yes, it was last Friday. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. So uh, this... yeah, and I think I think what what the, the, so just say the, the key surprise about that eliminating what they said was that the investigation had been happening at all. Exactly. As far as everyone was concerned, you know, the line had been drawn under last year. They had, you know, the Ferrari were the most tested engine of all, of all the teams being tested. They had more you know, bits pulled off than anyone else. And there had been that thing where they'd looked at the whole fuel system. So then, and then, but no, unbeknownst to the FIA, it's very important to stress this, this is the FIA, not FOM. So it's not Ross Braun and Chase Carey. Good point. It's the FIA, which is ultimately Jean Tot who's been doing this. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. So this morning, um, what I can only dis- <laughs> uh, describe as um, a pretty stern and uncompromising statement uh, was released uh, essentially under the Mercedes F1 banner. No, no, all of them. Every single team. Yeah, it came out from the. The one I saw was on Mercedes um, uh, headed paper. Yeah, but it 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 all came out at nine o'clock, I think. Right across, they all issued their own one, saying the same thing. All seven teams. We, the undersigned team, surprised and shocked by the FIA statement of Friday, the twentieth of February, regarding the conclusion of its investigation into the Scuderia Formula One power unit. Uh, from an international sporting regulator has the responsibility to act with the highest standards of governance, integrity and transparency. After months of investigations by the FIA, uh, only 
following queries raised by other teams. We strongly object, strongly object. Ah, well, that makes a difference, he says, uh, quoting uh, a well-known movie. Uh, we strongly object to the FA reaching a confidential settlement agreement with Ferrari. Therefore, we hereby state publicly our shared commitment to pursue full and proper disclosure to ensure that our sports treats all competitors fairly and equally will do so on behalf of the fans participants and stakeholders in addition we reserve our right to seek legal redress with the FIA's due process and before competent courts so I mean in in the in the language of Formula One that's actually that's actually pretty um What's the word I'm looking for? I mean, I said stern. It's it's a bit more than that. It's pretty unequivocal, isn't it? Well, when was the last time seven teams agreed about anything? Well, that's a very um, good point. No, I mean, I, I think I think basically the other teams are exceptionally ticked off by this. Um, and there's a number of reasons. The main one being that they weren't told. It was done in the background. And then effectively, been the, it's, it's been sort of covered up, but not. They've been told there's been a cover-up, which is actually in itself interesting. Now, let's be honest about this. Every single team, apart from Mercedes, has a financial interest in this situation. Mm. Because if we remember the last major team-based row which is 2007 and McLaren McLaren got kicked out of the constructors championship and fined a hundred million dollars just for having some photocopies yeah good point which they never actually used if a team is cheating and I don't I don't consider the intercooler to be cheating I think that is just making the most of the rules that weren't written I don't think they weeping into the intercooler you know that's I don't well Mercedes Mercedes were burning before it was the, the clarification came out Mercedes we knew that the Mercedes guys were burning oil. No, uh, no, they, they, that, I think you're, those things were going on a couple of years. Mercedes had that was all eased back because the, the, the points about this, John, is the only oil called intercoolers. The only oh, yeah, team yeah, yeah. that can do this is Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. The engine oil has already been done. Correct. Three times and has been done a fourth time, and that is no longer an issue. But the fuel, fuel, the fuel flow. If you're, that's if you're very clever fuel, cheating. That, no, that, that is just cheating. It's very but, clever cheating. I think it's probably everyone's thought of it, but that thought it was cheating. Now, the problem is, of course, if you are doing it, it's in software. And, uh, of course, the FIA has a very poor um, background of actually picking up things in software. Like sometimes they even see the software in the software and still don't penalize the team. I'm looking at you, Benetton, 1994, with your launch control and track control you never actually used hmm. like heck. Anyway, let's not get back to 25-year-old issues. So the fact is, if Ferrari had been cheating, which I believe the fuel supply would have been, then they would have been kicked out of the Constructors' Championship, and therefore every team, apart from Mercedes, would have got more money. So you're saying Mercedes because they finished above them in the Constructors' Championship? Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, but Mercedes would have gained things, but, but of course it would ha- being kicked out and losing their money would handicap Ferrari, even Ferrari, so therefore it would be a, a, an advantage to Mercedes as well if they were poorer. What, um, um, what are you hearing from your contact inside Formula One? How seriously... Are these teams taking it? And and let's not forget, and I say this, this comes at a bad time with a, a new Concord Agreement still in the works. That hasn't Concord all been agreement, sorted. Concord Agreement is FOM. It's not the FIA. Ah, good point. I mean, it, it doesn't help, and these things are interconnected. I mean, the, the basic thing, what's happened here is everyone has, has left right going, what the blazes is going on? And they just want to be told what, what's happening. 
the intimation, and if you read between any sort of lines, my feeling is that Ferrari have been cheating, but the FIA can't actually prove, prove it's it. actually used in an actual court of law. And we're not in the Max Mosey, Bernie Eggleston world now where it's like, I don't care, mate, just do them. Okay, I will. I'll give him a damn good slap on the behind at the same time. No, that's for you, Max. Um, but so we are now in a case where, you know, it, it, and, and it's unfortunate, John Tox, everyone's going to go, oh, it's a Ferrari international assistance. But what it effectively is, is that Ferrari have been uh, to an element called, but they've been, it's that famous in, in Scotland, there are three verdicts on murder cases, aren't there? There's guilty, not guilty, and not proven. Not proven, yeah. Uh, and this is not proven. And I think it, it's so hard to prove that the software was doing it. But, but, you know, the circumstantial evidence is massive, even to the point where Mattia Bernotto said that this year's engine isn't as good as last year's. Yeah. I mean, I know they've got less oil, but even so, it, 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 they aren't, it, it, every single thing points to the fact that they were at best bending the rules, at worst and most likely gaming slash cheating. Are we going to get then what these seven other, all all of the non-Ferrari teams, Ferrari and the Ferrari supplied teams, are we going to get then what they want, which, and they want clearly, uh, is full disclosure from the FIA. And what is going to be form, what is going to be Formula One FOM, Formula One Management, what is going to be their stance on this? Because ultimately they're right in the middle here because they're trying to get the the Concord Agreement sorted. Um, all of these people are their stakeholders that we're talking about, Ferrari and the Ferrari supply teams, plus the rest of the grid. One side who is very happy, one side who's clearly not happy in any way, shape or form. So where does this put form and what is the next move from the teams? Well, it, it is massively awkward for FOM. Um, however, I mean, if we get really Machiavellian and political about this, I have a question for you, okay? No one knew the investigation was going on. The investigation has found nothing tangible and will tell us nothing, so why did the FIA bother printing that press release? Mm. Because the FIA wanted everyone to know they'd been investigating and they wanted the teams to ask them what was going on. Yeah. And why would you want to do that? Because you want to reduce Ferrari's power. Why do you want to do that? Because you're in the middle of a negotiation for a, a Concord agreement. Yeah. Effectively, putting Ferrari on the back foot, because Ferrari, for all their whinging, are the one team who are not going to pull out of Formula One. It is who they are. And we know that from since 1989, when they pretended to go to IndyCar for 20 minutes and all that sort of thing. So you know, why, was it, why was it issued... The fact is, the teams are going to ask for more information. Now, I assume they'll be given some, but uh, you know, it's it's a a really, really, really strange situation mm-hmm. that has that has arisen. My feeling is this is going to. I don't think it's going to run and run. It's certainly going to keep us en- entertained when the races aren't happening. Um, but the yeah, the next the next move will be probably Tuesday or Wednesday or probably Wednesday in Melbourne um, when there'll be a meeting of all the teams and there'll be some more issues coming out and everyone will be unhappy about it and Ferrari will spend their, another bunch of time saying they did nothing wrong. Mm. But at this point, outside the Tifosi, who actually believes? Because it does come down. There's no. I know it's also there's no smoke without fire and the smoking gun is in, in many ways what you would think would be an unnecessary press release from the FIA. 
So maybe they're just covering themselves. I, I don't know. I don't get that either. That's the part of this that I don't get. If you wanted to keep it quiet, then why did you mention it in the first place? That's like having a uh, top top secret intelligence agency uh, headquarters with a big sign on the dual carriageway outside it saying uh, CIA HQ next exit, you know. Yeah, secret it's, bunker it's, but, this way as I saw today when I, mean, I was I think, in group, I think, I think what, which I laughed what, at yeah, a lot can you believe that secret bunker yeah <laughs> that's because it's now a tourist attraction and yeah I mean it's it, yeah it's it's a it's a difficult situation for everyone to manage but you know realistically Ferrari found 40 horsepower six years into an engine cycle which is impossible not with the greatest minds in in mechanical engineering working there it just doesn't happen how they found it, but we're now finding out they found it by ways which weren't legal. Right. Legal. So right. So that doesn't be caught, but we told us it again. It's it's going to rumble on. Uh, that that may we may well have to keep an eye on that. There are far uh, bigger fish to fry in Formula One at the moment, and we'll have the responsible adult later on in the show to talk about the uh, impact on our sport, sport in general, but particularly our sport of the outbreak of uh, the latest version of. Uh, SARS, the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, as it's been termed. Uh, that's still to come in tonight's programme. Before we leave Formula One, Nick, mm-hmm. um, six days of uh, pre-season testing all at Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a very interesting thread of conversation during that about why don't they go somewhere that they don't race, which I thought was an absolutely splendid idea because it's one of the reasons that the Barcelona race is always very formulaic because everybody knows exactly what they can do at Barcelona and they know exactly what everybody else can do. However, at the end of six days of testing uh, down from uh, eight days in the past, uh, what it seems to me is that whatever happens in Formula One this year and however many Grand Prix we have or we don't have, we might as well just give the trophies to Mercedes and to Lewis. Um, the Mercedes looked particularly strong. They've got issues with the engine, um, hence the reason on the final day they didn't go particularly quick compared to their own tyres because they had the engine turned down all on Friday. Um, after they had uh, five different failures um, of various across the teams, nothing, no problems for uh, Racing Point, but they, there were two different failures for um, the works team and three failures for Williams. The only thing I would say is, is actually... Um, that's what testing is all about, and it mm-hmm. must. And if you get several failures, it's actually better news. And you just get one failure, or none. You get you get one failure. You're going to go, oh, oh, was that was that like just that particular piece or that random issue? The same thing goes wrong twice. So you get two issues with a certain error. You pretty much know which bits you need to fix, and and that's obviously what we're going on at Bricksworth. They'll be fixing those. But yeah, the car looked really good. The car looked really quick. They are really quick anyway at um, Barcelona, Mercedes. Um, so they, we'd expect them to go well, and. Much as that, we expect them to go well in Australia. Red Bull looked good. Um, Ferrari uh, managed to pull out some stuff in the on the final day and look a bit swifter. Most pundits think they're running third, and they're coming out with some very negative statements already, which is which is interesting. I mean, they're not having a great time. The car's not great. The they're, they're under well, they're, they're not under investigation. They will be again soon. And of course, they've got problems with travel as well. So it's, it's kind of a triumvirate of problems for Ferrari. Uh, Behind the top three looks very, very interesting. We've got what's been now coined Tracing Point and the pink Mercedes, which we discussed. I think that car is comfortably ahead. Um, Again, it didn't set the times on fire 
towards the back end of the second test because they, it, the Mercedes turned the engines down. But that's that's uh, looking pretty good. I don't think the Renault is where it said it was obviously very quick on a couple of days. I think, yeah, you're looking at McLaren, did a solid job. But Racing Point is in a very clear fourth moment. And then you have a little bit of a, you know, a that normal track-dependent bunch, which is, you know, McLaren, um, Renault, Alpha Tori. Um, and then, you know, bringing up the back, you've got definitely, it looks like uh, Williams now for a Mayo. Haas may be awful or possibly has just been very clever in their testing because obviously they spent their entire time making sure they didn't repeat last year's. Williams? Era. Williams? Uh, Williams is just Team Williams this year. Yeah. Yeah, at the moment, team that they they are whilst they are not going to be challenging for fourth, they shouldn't be you know off the back by a couple of seconds. They should be there or thereabouts with the, the two or three teams towards the back, and it's it's really about what you can do from there. And, and the distance isn't massive from team five to team ten, mm. and it will you know ebb and flow, track dependent. And by the way, we yeah, it's the the midfield is very good to be track and conditions dependent and strategy dependent. I think. Um, and when I say the midfield, I mean everybody behind the top four with probably Racing Point a little bit ahead of everybody else. Top three, yeah, I, think, I think the racing point, the thing about racing point is, is that it, it, you know, they've done something that everyone's whinging about, but it's actually, you know, a, a brilliant one-year plan. Because they can't do it next year because they won't know what the 2021 car looks like. No, they've, they've taken a chance. Well, we talked, we talked about this what a couple of weeks ago when it first came out, and it's quite obvious that if you're going to use and and in and in fact you know they've said it themselves through their technical director if you're going to have a mercedes running gear a mercedes gearbox that means you have to have the suspension geometry at the back that's mercedes that's that's that is uh designed to work with a certain rake of car they were running a much higher rake of car which meant a different front end and different front end treatment well if you're going to run with that, you might as well copy last year's Mercedes because that worked really well, I seem to remember. And I don't know. I don't think anybody has a problem with that. Paying homage to or copying and taking photographs and redrawing it yourselves is one thing. Having blueprints handed over is something else entirely. And there's absolutely no suggestion. Or, well, there's been suggestion, but there's no proof and vehement yeah. denials that that has been the case because that would come down hard on both parties. And I, I, I think that's a known oh, yeah. story. And I think it's particularly ironic um, that Haas, in particular, were one of those that are talking about it. But look at all the Ferrari cars. All the Ferrari cars have the front end that looks like Ferrari. Well, yeah, it, it makes sense. But, you know, you're working towards a, the, the fixed devices at the back, which is the, the cooling package in the engine. So you have certain things which are, which are set in stone. No, I think it's a very clever thing to do for a team of, of their side. There's, there's nothing to say they can't work well to develop the car. Um, and also, it may well free up what some of their resources earlier to, to move on to the big regulation change for next year. I think that's exactly what it's what it's doing. Because I, I, I think, again, they've admitted this, that they're, this racing point we're talking about, the Silverstone team, um, they're... Uh, have well, they will not have resources in terms of man hours to develop that car as it goes on. So they're going to be the new Sauber, if you like. They'll start pretty well, and then they just won't get any better through the years. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport through the year. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Nick Damon, our Formula One uh, correspondent, is on the line. Let's take a few tweets here to aspect your team, and I'm multitasking. Uh, at the moment, uh, right turn lover says uh, F1 would be the worst Easter bunny ever. Not exactly brilliant at hiding their eggs, are they? No, you're right. Uh, 
Yanis Quaglita, the Concord nonsense must end. The old boys club must finally roll over and die. Otherwise, F1 will never be proper motor racing again. In- interesting comment, and not the only person I've I've said uh, heard uh, that uh, recently. Uh, Beardy John. Ferrari fuel gate. Is that really cheating? A team found a way around the measurement. That's just engineers finding a solution to a problem. That's kind of their job, isn't it? However, says John, no, it's it's the no, FIA. Hang on. No. However, let me finish. It's the FIA response that's interesting as to why they made it public in the way they did. The point about the fuel flow is there an absolute maximum fuel flow of 100 kilograms of fuel 100, 100 kilograms of fuel per hour that is the maximum fuel flow that is written in stone you're not allowed to get around that if you game it you are not being clever you are cheating mm-hmm. simple as that it's cheating it's not being gray because there, that is a written in stone it's like you know it's like saying well you know we managed to actually make the stroke of the engine at two millimeter more so we managed to find another 50 cc yeah. <laughs> we've gained the engine no you've cheated it's yeah. cheating and by the way, tracing point was Will Buxton who first came up with that. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, Nick, will you stay with us, please? Because we'll have Nick with some uh, two-wheeled review of World Superbike at Phillip Island uh, coming later on tonight. It's it's a big Thursday tomorrow. Eight o'clock, Tora, uh, the Online Racing Association and their show. And then nine o'clock, it's the... Latest episode of On the Grid with Richard Creel and the team. And here's about here's Richard with uh, news of tomorrow's show. Coming up this week on your look at motorsport with an Aussie approach, we chat with impressive youngster Zane Goddard, fresh from a stunning supercars debut at the Adelaide 500 and a week out of his first attempt at S5000, where he'll take on the likes of Giancarlo Fisichella and Rubens Barrichello at the Australian Grand Prix. Aussie Superbike champ Wayne Maxwell is on the show to debrief on the remarkable World Superbike round at the island last weekend. There's the local news and then, yes, the unfortunately inevitable continuation of our chat about Team Sydney and what they do now star driver James Courtney has walked away. Spoilers, it's not great. So please join us for On The Grid this Thursday at 9pm UK time on RS1. Yeah, uh, unmissable listening there. Uh, Tora before it, so it's a full 8 till 10 tomorrow evening uh, from 8 o'clock UK time, that is. Don't worry if you miss it. Um, it will all be available on download, of course, via the podcast, via the archive, and you can subscribe to On The Grid uh, from most major uh, most major podcast aggregators as well. Uh, more of Nick Damon in the uh, second half of tonight's program uh, but let's get on to our IMSA exclusive uh, we have got some very good news it's IMSA and it's news and it's an announcement and it is the announcement that Gradient Racing will be joining the IMSA GT Daytona ranks with the uh, Acura NSX and they'll be starting at the first of the sprint rounds, which is Long Beach. This is great news for the team and the series. Earlier on today, I spoke to their team manager uh, about this uh, great news to uh, find out how it all uh, came together. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a great great story uh, actually uh, so uh, here's Andres who is their team manager and the first of call, course I uh, I asked uh, 
uh, Andres Levens, uh, how the how the uh, deal came together and what was the thoughts behind it. Hey, John, thanks for having me on. Um, honestly, we have just been working very hard to get back into the IMSA paddock. You know, we, we ran a couple of endurance races there in 2018 uh, when we were operating as CJ Wilson Racing. And, um, you know, ultimately, as a team, our, our long-term goal was to get into the big stuff, you know, Daytona, Sebring, et cetera. And, uh, you know, while we weren't prepared to do that this season, um, you know, if we look ahead, the best way we see to uh, be successful in IMSA long-term is just to get going. And, uh, you know, the IMSA Sprint Championship now gives us a, gives us a place to get started. Actually, I should have started. I, I'm, this, the big story is you guys coming back. But what, what we should do, actually, is go back a little bit because you brought up a good point there. Um, we've missed you guys uh, at, at what was C.J. Wilson Racing. Give us a little bit of the genesis of, of what's been happening since we last saw you in the Inza Paddock. And that includes, obviously, the, the change of, for want of a better word, identity, I suppose you would call it. Sure, yeah, Um Ultimately, uh, at the conclusion of 2018, um, you know, CJ and I decided that uh, we had some, some different plans for the future, and we decided to, to make a very amicable split. And, um, you know, I've, I've taken on another partner, and we formed a gradient racing, and ultimately a lot of the, a lot of the elements of the team are, are the same and have been carried forward. And, uh, you know, 2019 was a chance for us to get our feet back under us as a new company, and uh, we, we spent 2019 in the uh, SRO Blancpain GT Series in the U.S., which was, which was fabulous, uh, great racing, uh, really was a wonderful platform uh, for Till as a, as a bronze driver. You know, the format really suited us there. This is Till Bechtelsheimer, uh, we should say. Yep, yep Till Bechtelsheimer. And um, so, yeah, we're, we, we took 2019 as a, as a year to get settled, and uh, we're really, really just looking forward to uh, the next couple of years here. And out of all the places you could have chosen to race a GT3 car, and let's be honest, that's everywhere in the world, pretty, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Absolutely. What was it then that attracted you about coming back to IMSA? I, I know you had experience with them before, and how much was this sprint series? a draw for you because it's a way in some ways to get your feet wet a little bit without going all the way up to your knees absolutely i mean you know when we were when we were operating as cj wilson racing we spent many years in imza racing uh, mazdas and then porsches in the what was then the continental tire series and you know for us it, it feels like home it seems like the right place to be commercially and uh, you know if i if i could identify one particular reason that, uh, you know, aside from all the competitive stuff that IMSA is, is a great place to be is that it feels like the right environment if you're trying to uh, run a commercially viable operation. And so, you know, there's a lot of different ways to fund fund racing. And, you know, if we look a little further up the ladder to running some of the big endurance stuff, it's clear that in, in today's market, you can't run a big top level program solely on the back of customer drivers. You know, the, the dollar amounts are just too high. And so for us, um, if we, if we take a, a multi-year look down the road, it seems to, to me, and I could be easily wrong, that the only way that we can, we can make those leaps to higher levels is if we properly develop commercial partners. And, 
you know, you don't have to explain to anybody that uh, when you show up to these big IMSA events, it feels like a place where you can conduct business. And um, so that's, that's the big draw for us. But, you know... And, and things as well, Andres, if, like coverage, uh, NBC TV uh, in the States, international coverage on the, the streaming platforms, plus audio uh, and, and video, that sort of thing, does that factor into, into the calculations as well? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the stature of the product that, that we, meaning us and the series, produces is, is a big factor when you want to approach people outside the paddock. Um, and, you know, the Sprint series is, is definitely, I'm glad that the offering exists. You know, everybody that's in, in sports car racing wants to go run the 24 hours of Daytona. But, you know, when you're, when you're transitioning up the food chain, it's very easy to um, you know, spend every dime you've got running a couple of big races and then you're sitting on your hands the rest of the year. And I'm, I'm really happy that IMSA understood that the market needed an opportunity for people to be in the big show in the, in the paddock with all the activity going on, uh, at a, at a lower, lower level of commitment for lack of a better word. And and we should say, of course, you are you're bringing the Honda NSX. Sorry, the um, as we would say, well, it's see, an Acura. <laughs> see, see, the issue that I've had is we've just had the Acura down at uh, at the Lippy Molly Bathurst twelve hours, not well, just over a month ago, where I had to educate myself to call it a Honda and not an Acura. I'm back. <laughs> I'm back in IMSA speak and US speak now. So it's the Acura NSX, and that's a car that that you guys have got a a reasonable bit of uh, of data for and experience with now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we ran a couple of IMSA races in 2018. We ran the full season with the SRO last year. Uh, we've done a little bit of testing uh, with HPD on a couple of things. But, you know, heading into Long Beach as our first step back into IMSA is, <laughs> you know, couldn't have picked a worse race. Talk uh, about uh, a baptism of fire, mate. Yeah, the, you know, Long Beach is a spectacular event, but it's a place you can't test. Uh, the track time is limited. The ability to... Uh, go back and forth to pit lane and work on your pit setup and all that is really limited. And so uh, we really have to, to show up ready to go. And, you know, to that end, uh, Mark, uh, Mark Miller, our, uh, our pro, uh, Till Bechtersheimer, and myself are actually going to have a little bit of a uh, spring break. Uh, we're going to spend a couple of days up at, uh, up at Till's house. He's recently installed a pretty elaborate SimCraft uh, multi-axis uh, simulator there, and we're going to go spend two or three days without any distractions mm. uh, just running Long Beach on the sim. Now, that helps uh, the drivers, but does that help you as an engineer-stroke team manager as well? Because these things, as you say, they're pretty sophisticated nowadays. Yes. Are they sophisticated enough for you guys to get a base, baseline setup from? Um. We won't directly apply any setup changes from the sim work we'll be doing. Uh, you know, so Long Beach, uh, as far as as far as the equipment we have, Long Beach is only available on iRacing, which uh, unfortunately doesn't have an NSX model. Uh, we will do some setup work, uh, which will probably help us understand some of the characteristics of the track. But honestly, the biggest leg up we will have going into Long Beach is the support structure from HPD. Um, you know, they. Their, their approach with the NSX is that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily an open book between all the teams, but everybody is understood to be, you know, rowing the same boat. 
And um, so they've collected a lot of data over the last few years um, at various street courses. And so uh, I'm sure that we'll be putting our heads together with the Shank guys when we're there. You know, nobody nobody has run at, at in GTD at Long Beach well, on that's, Michelin. That's the, that was going to be my next, that next question because, of course, it, it hasn't, you know, we, we've done split classes down through the years uh, at, uh, at Long Beach because of the, yep. the, the, the exigencies of, of reduced paddock space. And it's normally been GTD that's missed out. So, in some ways, this, I mean, you can look at it two ways. It's going to be a baptism of fire, but it's not, it's, <laughs> but it's not a bad race to jump into first time because all of those GTT runners, the vast majority of them will have no data unless yep. a car has run in a different, um, in a different series there. But even then, they won't have run it on Michelin tyres. Yeah, everybody that's been there will have been there on a different tyre. And yeah, none of us was there testing last week. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What, no sneaky nighttime round the parts of the circuit that you can get to as it's a street? <laughs> it's a thought. Uh, I'm, ju- I'm just saying. It's a thought. So Mark Miller and Till Bettelsheimer um, will be the two drivers. Um, yep. Mark uh, and uh, I mean, Till, we've spoken about in the past uh, on our broadcasts, and we've had him on as well before, has his, uh, his uh, background very much in uh, historic racing. And, and I reckon if you can drive some of those historic cars you can pretty much drive everything and that <laughs> ridiculous mg metro turbo dtm car that he's, he's still got is an extraordinary feat, feat of engineering um so so we we know a little bit about him mark miller's no stranger to us either uh, and they've formed a, a pretty decent bond as as team as a team uh and that's really important, particularly when you're coming to do something like this and with all the other unknowns that you've got a- around the project. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Till really, really came into his own in 2019. I think, you know, the biggest thing in a GT3 car is being in the car and being in the car consistently and often. And we really, you know, Till's performance as a driver was just spectacular in, in 2019. And honestly, one of the one of the biggest things we're we're really amped about heading into 2020, and this sounds a little silly, is that you know Mark and Till will be in the car at every race together. You know, if we if we had a little bit of a shortcoming in 2020, it was absolutely nothing to do with any of our drivers, but it was you know th- there was some some damper put on the program because due to some scheduling conflicts, we actually had a couple of different drivers paired with Till in yeah. our program last year, all of whom were amazing and whom we, you know, we learned things from everybody that was in the car and all of that was very positive. But, um, you know, anytime you, you alter a driver pairing during the season for any reason, you know, there's a little bit of a reset that happens at the next event. And so um, in 2020, uh, you know, Mark is Mark is committed to this program as his highest priority. Um, you know, last year we lost him a couple of times to the Trans Am series where he, where he won a championship. But uh, you know, I, I've got my claws into him this year. Uh, we're going to have the same pairing at every round, and I think that's going to be a big benefit. Continuity is something that you almost can't put a price on, to be honest, and, and particularly when you're trying to build that bond, which is so important, between your pro driver, who has experience of all these tracks that we're talking about, and your non-pro driver, until who is extremely talented, but even by his own admission, is still learning. So that that's yeah. going to be a big thing. Um, 
I, I always ask this question, and I always preface it by saying, I know this is a dangerous question for me to ask, and probably <laughs> an even more dangerous question for you to, to answer. But you guys aren't going to be there to make up the numbers. You're learning your, if there is such a thing allowed any, anymore in, in GT3 uh, racing was probably last year as a full season. So do you set yourself targets, and, and are you prepared to talk about them? Um, I mean, look, at any, anybody that's going to go race at this level, you, you don't go if you're going to run around, if you know you're going to run around in 10th place the whole time, because ultimately that's not a ton of fun for anybody. Um, you know, we want to be on the podium. I don't have any expectations we're going to show up and win several races in a row or anything silly like that. But, you know, GTD is extremely competitive. And the driver lineups in every car are amazing. And um, so, you know, we're going into this with eyes wide open. Um, we we believe we can be competitive, uh, but we also know that we're going up against uh, extremely strong lineups that have been on this tire in this class uh, for much longer than we have. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, look, it, it's a challenge, but uh, we wouldn't be doing this if there was no challenge. Uh, Jeremy and I love the GTD category. Because uh, much like the GT4 category in uh, in the Michelin Challenge, uh, the gaps between the cars, and, and I know quite often, Andres, people will talk about balance of performance (BOP) as as three dirty words. But as far <laughs> as GT3 is concerned and GT4, it's actually worked exactly as it's meant to do. It brings in lots of different manufacturers, disparate shapes and sizes of cars. And if you like endurance racing and you like GT racing, you like variety. You want them to look different, sound different, have slightly different characteristics. And, you know, I, we quite often have the, the whole field within a second and a half. And when I look at Jeremy and say, so who's your tip then? He looks at me back with such a dirty look because <laughs> it literally could be any one of the, normally the top 10. And that's the shark pool you're going to be in. So you're not looking for an easy ride, are you? No, I mean, ultimately, we, you know, to, to, put, it, to put it in a different context, if, if we think that in 2021 or 2022 we want to be you know on the podium at daytona or some lofty goal like that like we're not going to get there by racing spec miata this year um you know you you have to you have to be you have to be where you want to be and you have to be in the trenches learning and racing against the people that you're racing against in the equipment you're going to be in on the tire you're going to be on um there's really just no substitute for it mm. uh you know we we plan to go uh since we can't test at long beach uh, we're certainly planning to go uh, do a little bit of testing before then on the Michelin um, to make sure that we understand the tire. And uh, combined with the sim work and uh, you know uh, a fairly even playing field going into Long Beach, uh, we're just gonna we're gonna go put our best foot forward. Uh, and I mean, as if going to Long Beach wasn't a challenge enough, you've got the sprint only round which is another street circuit <laughs> although very different type of street circuit to long beach uh, at belle isle uh, over the le mans test weekend at the end of may at detroit michigan i, I mean wh- which dare i say which of the races are you actually looking forward to going to because <laughs> you've got a bit of data for the place this year um I think we'll do well. At, uh, I mean, I, you know, the street races are just such wild cards, and ultimately, a Correct. lot of those are just are just down to track position because you're not you're you're gonna you're gonna run your race. You got to make sure the pit stops are right. Um, but the street races are going to be tough, no matter what. 
if I'm looking forward to anything, you know, mid Ohio is, is a real treat of a track. Um, I think that, uh, you know, between us and HPD, we've got a lot of data from there in this car and other cars. Uh, but ultimately, you know, any of the places that we've raced previously in the NSX are going to be places that our comfort level will be a lot higher going into them. So that's going to be most sport. Um, it's going to be, uh, Laguna Seca. It's going to be, um, I don't know. I mean, those are, those are a couple of my, my favorites. I mean, road America obviously is a, is a, is a really straightforward yeah. place that we, yeah. that we've run the NSX and have, have a good understanding of the car there. So, you know, when you drop, drop a car like this into, into a race like that, um, you know, aside from the competitive aspects to the other makes and models, you know, for us, it's going to be understanding the Michelin. I, um, I, I'll tell you now, you're going to be a fan favorite because the NSX is always, uh, always a fan favorite. And it, it's great to have you guys in the, the Sprint Cup portion, the Michelin Sprint Cup portion of the of the, the WeatherTech series this year, you know it's you you know what you've got in front of you. You're always going into this with eyes open and with Till and Mark. You've got a couple of characters there. You're not going to have. I'm going to tell you now, Andres, and you know this. You're not going to have a boring year, are you? <laughs> no, there's not a lot boring about racing in GTD. <laughs> and I mean, certainly not with Mark Miller and Till Bechtelsheimer as the two guys. I mean, it must be like herding cats sometimes, is it? <laughs> no, I mean. Honestly, as far as drivers, uh, these guys are both really, really mellow. I've worked with uh, a pretty wide spectrum of guys over the years, and you know, till it's really hard to even get till's heart rate up. And uh, you know, Mark, Mark has been has been driving in various programs uh, with me for many, many years now, and so uh, we we work really easily together. And he's he's a very even temper, so. Um, you know, we just got to we got to put our heads down and keep it together on track. And, you know, ultimately, uh, we've got our eyes on, on the long term. And, uh, you know, we understand that we're, we're going to we're going to learn, but we're also going to try to, you know, put the car on the podium when we can. I wish you all the best in that. And you can follow, of course, along with the Ibsen WeatherTech Sports Car Championship throughout the whole season. Uh, Andres, thank you very much indeed. Uh, IMSA Radio RS2 uh, we have uh, all of the season for you live if you're outside the US of course we've got live sound and vision as well but if you are in the US you can still get our audio we're live trackside for every single event uh, Andres we wish you the best good luck with the team and please come back and, and talk to us when we're at the race meetings if you've got time and certainly you know you're welcome here on Midweek Motorsport anytime and thank you very much indeed for allowing us to uh, be slightly ahead uh, of your uh, other media uh, um, in, in terms <laughs> of the curfew for the uh, for the other embargo rather for the, the other media and letting us brace that brick the news is an exclusive that you're coming to uh, IMSA Sprint Cup cheers mate thanks John really appreciate it uh, really appreciate uh, the guys from Gradient coming on there, uh, Andres, uh, uh, and particularly, as I said, in that. We recorded that earlier on today. Uh, the press release is just literally going out now, but they uh, wanted that to go out on Midweek Motorsport. So you have, when we say you've heard it first, you really did hear that first. So Gradient into the Sprint Cup of GTD of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, before we get to our half-time break here, let's take some tweets at Spectatainment as ever. Um 
BD John, I, I read this out earlier on with with Nick. BD John, but is Ferrari cheating a team find a way around the measurement? That's just engineers finding a solution to the problem. James at Black Gazer says, uh, saying it's not cheating, it's clever because they managed to avoid the fuel fall check. Isn't that a bit like uh, saying that doping and using someone else's urine to avoid the measurement is clever and not cheating? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Uh, this cover-up with Ferrari says Jesse sounding more and more like the Houston Astros cheating their way to winning baseball games. Dave Alcock, why is it when I hear about these manipulations of Formula One rules, I can't help but think of Terry Tomics and Eric Sykes in those magnificent men in their flying machines. Um, those of you of a certain age will remember Wacky Races. Is it not Dick Dastardly and Muttley? But I'm not sure who is who in this particular uh, scenario. Uh, hello to Colton, who's at Harewood on uh, Sunday for Marshall's training date. Um, uh, Beatty John comes back. I take the point about rules being an absolute figure, but I wonder if everyone else in the paddock knew how to do this and didn't. And that's now why they have the humping and complaining. Uh, like one guy backing out on a gentleman's agreement. I think, John, you might not be a million miles away uh, from the truth in that respect because uh, it seems as though everybody had an idea of it could be done. And certainly Nick, as he said... He had talked to somebody said, well, yeah, we knew how we could do that, but we didn't think it was legal. And this is for Kevin Payne. Uh, Kevin uh, has been... Oh, hang on. Where's that gone? Uh, Kevin, I've got something a bit special uh, for you. Uh, in. We'll have to do that in the second half of the programme now. Let me see if I can quickly reopen what I had. No, here it is. Kevin, this is especially for you. You... Uh, we're asking about a certain set of renovations at a certain uh, motor racing track. Now that is the noise that Max Verstappen's car made as he officially opened Sandfort. Down into Tarzan, the first corner. Slightly reprofiled, all resurfaced. Up to Hugenholtzbach now, behind the paddock. Up and over the top of the brow through that really fast right-hander. It's not even a corner. Sweeping through the left. Right-hander at the top of the second brow. Down through the gearbox. How do you like that? That was especially for you, Kevin. That was about half a lap uh, of Jean Fort. We'll have more Formula One chat, I'm sure, in the second part of the programme. And that starts right now. Midweek motorsport. And don't you dare switch off now, because the next hour's going to be even better. Oh, that's something that we have to live up. Thanks, Mark, uh, for that. In the second hour of tonight's programme, Nick Damon back to talk two wheels as well as four. We've got the response. Phillip Island World Superbikes at the weekend. If you didn't see it, uh, you should really try and seek it out. Three phenomenal races. Uh, Super Sport race, they had to have a pit stop in there. Anyway, I'll, let's uh, let's not spoil that. We'll have a chat about that with uh, Nick in the second half of tonight's programme. We'll also be talking to the responsible adult about the effect of coronavirus in motorsport and sport more generally. More of your tweets, please, on at Specutainment. And we'll start the second hour with the big interview, which was a trip out up to Crewe today to have a look round the brand new premises at Bentley Motorsport. Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com.
Hello everybody and welcome to our big interview here on Midweek Motorsport and uh, this week it's required me taking a road trip. I've come up to Crewe, to Bentley and to Bentley Motorsport and if I go through this door here I have the subjects of our big interview and we're getting two for the price of one today as I move into uh, uh, this room and I, in fact I'm, Tom we've, we've spoke before, give us your name and your title please and then you can introduce the guy on your right who we've not spoken to before. Yep, so my name's Tom Hodgson and I'm now Head of uh, Customer Racing at Bentley Motorsport. And on your right is your new boss, I suppose. It is my new boss, Paul Williams. Yeah. Paul, what is your title? First of all, welcome to um, Radio Show Limited and to Midweek Motorsport. What's your title now? Oh, thank you very much. Yes, Paul Williams, um, Director of Motorsport for Bentley Motors. Well, first of all, as I say, welcome. Uh, and I'll, if you don't mind, Tom, I'll, I'll talk to the big bloke first. Um, <laughs> welcome to Bentley Motorsport as well. You've what, just over uh, eight months, nine months in the job now, starting at the back end of, of last year, taking over from a good friend of ours and a good friend of motorsport, Brian Gush. Uh, first of all, slightly daunting to get the position, but to follow someone like Brian must have been a challenge in, in its own self. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in reality, I made a little bit of a career of following Brian around. I originally took over from him as uh, director of powertrain at Bentley Motors uh, about 10 years ago now. And, uh, yeah, it's an absolute honor for me to be able to uh, follow in his footsteps for a second time and to be responsible for Bentley Motorsport. Obviously, he's, a, he's somewhat of a, of a legend, both here at Bentley and, uh, and elsewhere, and uh, a great honor for me to try and f- um, follow in his footsteps. Our keen-eared listeners will have noticed a slight similarity in the uh, national accent. Is that a part of the job description, then, if you come to Bentley and do these jobs, that you have to be from South Africa? Um, Luckily not, because I think it would, it would limit it somewhat. But, um, yeah, of course, uh, you know, being a friend of Brian's and, uh, and I had a long relationship with him as well, it's, it's, it's great. I knew him a little bit back when we both worked at Volkswagen South Africa, mm-hmm. um, although at that point in time we didn't have much to do with each other. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a long journey with him, and I'm um, very, very pleased to be able to, uh, to try and uh, follow on from what he's built up here. Now, down through the years, we find out quite a lot about Brian away from Bentley in that he loved old British motorcycles and particularly old rally cars, old Ford rally cars in particular. Uh, tell us something about you then that it has nothing to do with you here at Bentley. What do you do in any time off that you've got? So, yeah, I don't have a, a little garage at home full of interesting cars, unfortunately. That's uh, not something I've managed to spend time on. My real probably passion outside of this, apart from the family, is uh, mountain biking. So I get my thrills from very steep hills, and I spend some time in the Alps every year. Um, so that's really where I get my, my excitement. I can offer you Pike's Peak, um, but I'm not sure you'd want to ride up it and certainly not want to ride down it. It was breathtakingly scary when I drove down it in the slowest time ever in a higher car or anything anything else. What then, since you've come here to Bentley Motorsport and taken over this job, what then has been the priority for you and and what uh, aims and objectives have you set for yourself and for the department, say, five-year, ten-year plan? So, yeah, I think the the main objective for me is to build off what was started and has been built up over the last few years in in terms of a a really mature and robust GT3 programme and really to take that to the next step, which is to to push more into the customer racing side of, of GT3. Now, I'm a strong believer in the in the heritage of customer racing in Bentley as a brand. I mean, that's really where we started way back in, in the early Lamar days with customers going racing with our, our cars. And I believe very strongly in that. And our aspiration is to, is to develop that and to get, uh, you know, not a huge number, but a small number of special customers, special partners who would love to go racing with us 
as a brand. And that's really the reason why um, we've created this job that Tom, you spoke to a second ago, is, is, is working on. And that's really to try and help and support customers who would love to come and race with, with Bentley as a brand to make sure we get the, the right partners, we support them in the right way, we have the right people racing and right people partnering with us. Uh, well, a, a small but happy band then is what you're looking to uh, to create. And let's not forget, it was the customers that that brought WO Bentley and Bentley to Le Mans and to to racing. It's not quite that way now because you're looking to expand, and you've done a pretty good job, if I may say so, Tom. From what we saw last year, which was fairly healthy, but there's going to be a lot more Bentleys racing uh, around the world in in championships in 2020 than there was in 2019. Yeah, we've grown it a lot. We've we've got more cars out there than we ever have before, um, and so we've. We've sort of reached almost half of our target. We want to keep it relatively small, as, as Paul mentioned. We want an exclusive group, and that's um, that's because that's one of the things unique to Bentley. We offer this exclusive experience, but we also want to look after the customers really well. So mm. keeping that number relatively small is really important to us. And, and you said then you've reached about half. So what do you think... Um, I was going to say critical mass, but it's not. Where do you think it tops out where you guys can say, right, we're happy servicing X amount of cars out in the world? Um, my personal target is to get to 40 cars at right. the moment. So we've got, we've got to 20. Um, so, so we've got a little way to go. But the car's, the car's really strong, as we saw in Bathurst. It's a great car. Uh, customers love the car. So I think uh, now's the time that we can try and build on those sales. So talk to you in the past and indeed to other manufacturers of, of gt3 cars and let's be honest there's plenty of choice out there one of the defining factors on teams making decisions for business reasons certainly on wealthy individuals who want to go driving uh, making that decision that influences the team will be not not just the performance of the car because it's a bop category so in point of fact you could almost say pick any one mm. The Bentley difference will be how you're looked after by Bentley Motorsport. And you're presumably acutely aware of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's completely my focus is to, is to make sure that we look after these customers really well. You know, they look at, they look at how they're looked after. They also look at um, pounds per kilometre, how much it costs to run the car. Uh, what's your parts service like? You know, how's the support engineering staff? It's all those sort of things which are absolutely crucial. And these guys want to know that before they'll commit to the cars. And, and, and are there big differences then? I remember going to a McLaren launch many years ago when they first came into uh, GT3 and then subsequently GT4 and, and talking to then Andrew Kakodi, who was looking after that for, for, for McLaren. And they were talking about running costs and saying, we think we've got the cheapest car to, to run on the, on the grid. We think it's the best, best package. Again, in a BOP category, I think people will be relatively shocked to find out that there are big differentials in pounds per kilometre to go race cars. Yeah, there are, because the cars are so different in themselves. So if you, if you think about us versus our competitors, um, you know, we have to do a lot more to our body shell, for example, but our engine is actually completely road car based. So it's, it's, it's really economical to run. The, the engine has a, a three-year unlimited mileage warranty, which is... Whoa, 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 stop, hang on. That's the road car engine you're talking yeah. about, not the race car. No, that's our race car. So we, we're so believing our engine so much... Um, that we do that which is unlike anybody else any of our competitors and so all of these different gt3 manufacturers they have benefits and pluses and minuses yeah, yeah, yeah. throughout all the cars and and that's how um that's how it works with the with the mileage costs as well right okay i've got to take you back to that three-year unlimited mileage race engine guarantee presumably there is planned maintenance that goes along with that at certain hours on the engine um 
actually no so you have to you have to put all the fluids in there yes. and, and you have to not misuse it which we can see through the data yeah but but no technically the, the engine stays in the car um for those three years unlimited uh, unlimited mileage, and, and, and that's because we believe so strongly in this engine it's uh, it's a great part of our package so it's you know me well enough to know i am seldom lost for words but that is it i mean that's what you expect on a road car, and some manufacturers offer five and seven year powertrain warranties. But on a race car, yeah. I mean, well, that's that's quite extraordinary. It's it's not really if you think about it, because we sell road cars with around about the same level of performance as you get in a GT3 car. So if you go today and buy a Continental V8, yeah, mm-hmm. you've got a car which is around 550 horsepower, which is a similar power level to what you're having in in BOP. GT3. Yeah, but Paul, may I respectfully suggest that your customers who buy a Bentley Continental GT road car aren't giving the engine as much stick as they would do if they were doing Bathurst or the Spa 24 or any of the endurance championships around the world. They're not revving it as much. They're not certainly driving as hard for as long. Correct, but our sign-off criteria for a road car engine is far harsher than anything you'll hit in the 24-hour race or anything like that at all. So, to be honest, the fundamentals of the engine are far stronger than, than you would need. And that comes from us selling road cars, which are, are you know, they're quite heavy, they're big, they take a lot of performance, and they're designed to drive cross continents, not just to go and um, poodle up and down the, the M6. And that's <laughs> what the car's designed for, you know? So in, in terms of what you're seeing from Tom and, and customer racing um, for 2020, that's a big uplift on last year, getting on, in fact, 70% more cars, doing more races in more championships, uh, with an increase in the amount of teams that are running as well. Does that mean you've had to beef up your service structure that sits behind that? Yeah, we've spent some time inside our team um, and also with our partner M-Sport um, looking carefully at how we've structured the support to the different types of teams to make sure that wherever people race they have the, the right types of support, making sure upfront with, with all the people that we're working with that we know what they think they need um, during the year in the events. Tom has put together a structure with the various people involved to make sure that we give them what they what they need. Of course, the proof of that will be inside this year, and we're, we're flat out in making sure that, that the customers get every support that they that they need. We've already had a, a, you know, a couple of, in the warm-up to the season, a couple of customers needed quick support, and so far we've been very successful in getting stuff to them immediately where they needed it, whether it's in terms of information or parts. So, so far, very successful. And, and how does that work? Do you run that all from here at Crew? Because, I mean, I know some of your competitors in, in GT Racing would have um, partner schemes in for example the US or in Asia or in Australasia how do you guys work that no with us being a smaller operation we run it directly from here um, and so we we retain control and that's what we want to do we want to want to keep in touch with all of our customers and make sure that they have a personal link directly to the factory here so the way we work it is we have a group of guys here that attend the races and look after the programs and make sure that the customers are happy and then we have our M Sport support engineers as well technically looking after the car right. and making sure that the cars run properly and how do you or do you should i say is there any um sort of central database and are your customers accessing that which might be from another team in another championship but that data could potentially from Bathurst let's say that might help somebody who wants to go and race at Spa 
Yeah. Um, between inter-teams, it's, it's sometimes a bit more to that. Certainly with Bathurst, yes. So, so taking the Bathurst example, that's M Sport, uh, who are very obviously very closely linked to Bentley, and we allow all of our customers all data linked to them. So if they okay. if they do a test, if they find a, a spring or a camber setting or or something on the car which works better, then that is the Bentley guy's job to go out to those tracks and tell the customers. This is this is an improvement we found. Please put this on your car, and you'll find performance. And is that effectively now, Paul? What what M Sport are doing, as as you say, closely linked to the fact Bentley, in some ways, doesn't have a factory team. If it did, it would look very like Malcolm Wilson and and Matty and M Sport. Is that their is that their scheme of things now? Is that their remit to go out and and race in the big international championship? And to be the development uh, development arm, if you will, of, of Bentley Motorsport. Yeah, absolutely. M Sports are our partner, both in terms of the the ongoing, um, you know, supporting the customer teams. Technically, they build the cars that eventually go to the customers. So we take the parts from the road car from the, the factory. They go to M Sport. M Sport will actually build that car together, test it, make sure it runs correctly, and then we also race with M Sport in the the top level of the. Of the, G- of the GT3 racing and the Intercontinental, a bit as a as a flagship, as a demonstration of what the car can achieve, mm. and um, yeah, that's um, we believe that's necessary for for our customers to see what is possible and to understand what that partnership with Bentley can look like. So now. Tom's done a pretty good job, I have to say. He, he'll not say it because he's far too modest. Um, but he's done a pretty good job of spreading the Bentley word and the GT3 car across continents, pretty much across the globe, into all of the major GT3 championships. You are, at the moment, only, in that respect, a one-model um, motorsport brand with just the GT3 car in terms of customer racing and in terms of international formula of racing. Um, is there anywhere with that, first of all, is there anywhere with that GT3 that you're not that you would like to be? Where he has to work harder is basically what I'm saying after I've built them up. <laughs> so, yeah, of course, we, we haven't just gone for the uh, shotgun approach and tried to hit every single series that you, you could get into. There's, a, there's an absolute wealth of different... Uh, gt3 series out there which is which is fantastic and yeah we don't have a gt4 car and we don't have a gte car so you know we focus on the on the on the areas that are right for that there are certain races and things we would love to be to be part of um nurburgring 24 of course one mm-hmm. of those always um, get asked about that yeah. um we'd like to do more in the middle east as well um and in especially in asia there's more opportunity there we think for for customers who would like to race with us so um we have a, a pilot project there this year as well to try and um, you know raise some interest there so yeah we are looking at those areas in particular for what we can do in the future and, and is, i mean that's obviously your remit tom in terms of uh, of fulfilling that where would you say if you had to put the crosshairs somewhere would it be asia yeah asia for me i really want to go there and be successful really show off this car you know we saw in bathurst how strong the bentley continental gt3 is um, and we really need to get that message across in asia and get customers interested in and buying cars ultimately i've got to ask you um gtd imza that's the one that we're going to get asked about nurburgring's already been mentioned we always get asked about that fan favorites at all of these yeah uh, and for me as well i, I mean my my last program was the K-Pax one in America. Mm. I'd love to be in IMSA every year. I have a, a, a very long conversation with them. Um, What's stopping you? Is it just the fact that you haven't got a team that wants to do it? Is you know is there a reluctance from? I can't imagine there'd be a reluctance from the series from IMSA and from Daytona to to, to get you over there. 
There's not. There's, first of all, we would need a really keen customer team to do it. It's not, a, it's not the cheapest championship. I think it's well known that the IMSA costs are, are pretty high. On top of that, we do have um, the manufacturer's entry fee, um, which is, is a barrier which we would have to get um, a lot of support to do. Right. So that's, that's really the main, the main thing. The two things are the customer and the, and the manufacturer's fee. But I'd love to do it. I recognise that uh, IMSA is a fantastic brand and I would, I would desperately love to be there. There's just something for me as well about, you know, we talk about Bentley at the Montpole and that's where it all started for Bentley and for Bentley customer racing. But Bentley at Daytona, Bentley at Sebring, Bentley at Watkins Glen. I mean, those kind of trip off the tongue, don't they? And in fact, I could probably name every single track that IMSA go to for the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, the U.S. market for us is very important as well. So, you know, it's a large part of our customer car sales. And, you know, the, the interest in the U.S. in the brand is also very high. So we'd love to be more involved in that side. And I think the, you know, the latest direction um, with the ACO and how, what they're trying to do with the world of endurance racing is ah. definitely a, you know, a step in the right direction. It doesn't mean we can be there tomorrow. But, um, you know, the, the movements in the world are in the right direction. And so, of course, as always, we're interested in that. Well, well that, you've brought that up, and that's good, because I would have had you ask you that, and I think you probably knew that before I turned the microphone on. Um, you mentioned that you don't have a GT4, and you don't have anything else. I mean, of other products, other racing products, not necessarily tomorrow, but do you have to keep a look at that? Because using a GT4 to get people into GT3, it's not the worst thing. It's a business model that's worked for some of your competitors. The combination of a single prototype that could go and race in privateer hands in IMSA and then could go to Le Mans, well, I mean, that's Nirvana. I never thought that would happen in, in, my, in my lifetime. And that could potentially take... Bentley back to Le Mans. I don't expect any policy decisions right now, but something that you've had to look at and had to be aware of? Yeah, I think Le Mans is in our blood as, as a brand. I mean, we've got a, a long history with that, and so it's always something we're very interested in. Um, it's always something which is a, an ongoing discussion that we'd like to be involved in. We don't have an active program at the moment, but um, as the world is changing and as, we, as these... Um, these ideas and the direction is settling down it becomes more and more interesting for us and so we are taking a, a, a careful look at it as we have done many times in the past and uh, of course I'd love to go and I'd love to go and do that and so would many people at Bentley but it has to be the right decision at the right time with the right framework and the right conditions because you know in the past years it hasn't been you know, all roses in, in, in Le Mans in the series and I think the, the steps that are being taken now are in the right direction and so the interest is, is, is increasing. And of course the whole um, point of of interest for many OEMs, yourselves included, on GT3 is it's a global formula. And you can take a car and race it at Bathurst. You could take a car and race it at Daytona and near many other races. Even if you don't do a full championship, it's a global formula. LMDH and, and a hypercar, let's put hypercar to one side at the moment because I suspect you, you, you're more talking about LMDH on that with a P2 chassis. That will be a global formula and considering what we were what I discovered at the start of this interview, it's an engine formula. And you've got a pretty good donkey to throw in the back of one of those things, haven't you? Yeah, we do. We have, a, we have some great powertrains, and um, this is something which makes it, again, maybe a step more, more interesting for us. Um, you know, we have to consider a lot of factors in, in talking about doing that. Um, you know, taking on uh, that top level of racing is, is a big investment, and we would never do something where we weren't in it for an absolute an absolute win. Right. So we have to be dead certain that it is is the absolute 
top class of, of racing that we're entering, and we have to have a carefully constructed program if we were to do something like that. So we're looking very hard at it, we're studying, we're talking to the right people, and um, we'll see. It might, it might be the right direction, but it is a big investment for a, a small brand like us to do something like that. And in point of fact, that running for the outright victory in, in the events that you do with M Sport, that's always been a bit of a barrier to IMSA in particular, where GTD isn't for an outright victory. But with the development and the expansion of customer racing and your customer teams, presumably that does bring that a little bit more into focus uh, now, Tom. Yeah, and, and that's the beauty of if a customer team were to come to us with IMSA, we would fully support them, but it would be a, a customer operation, and that's, that's how we could do that now, mm-hmm. yeah. So. Exciting year ahead for, for, Bentley, for Bentley customers as well. Um, you've done a cracking job during the winter. What's your job now as we look forward to the start of the European season at least? Uh, well, it's really to look after them all. So, so Piece uh, of cake, yeah, eh? yeah. So, <laughs> no, it's, it's to make sure that all those things are in place that we've talked about, the support, the parts support, that they get the, the correct technical support, that we have the right relationship with the organisers, um, that the drivers are behaving themselves. The, there's, there's all those different elements because we... We're, some of the M Sport drivers are with these customer teams mm-hmm. as part of their deal as well. So uh, we've got to look after all of those different elements to make sure that all the customers are happy. And, and ultimately, the big measure for me is that at the end of the year, they want to carry on racing with Bentley. Um, I bet you haven't even looked at this, but it's going to be a busy year. There's a lot of racing and a lot of championships. Um, just from um, what I've seen in press releases, I think it, there's, there's sometimes when you're going to have three, four, maybe five customers racing in different championships on the same weekend yeah there's a there's one weekend where we have five uh, weekend from hell yes, exactly yeah <laughs> so we've got we've got guys all over the world but we've got great support from m sport um great support from bentley as well we have a, a real small little team here that that support us but we uh we've, we've got the right people involved yeah. um, paul if i can finish w- with you um you've you've now been in post um since the back end of of last year um, I know you'll tell me that you, there's no rest, and, and we all know in motorsport, if you're standing still, you're actually going backwards. But are you happy with the direction and the pace in which Bentley Motorsport, and particularly the customer side of things, is moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I think we we had some some targets to meet over the end of the year, and Tom especially has done a, a great job to to get the right type of customers and to get us you know, you know teams and people that we that we can work with. And so we've we've slightly overachieved what we wanted to do at the. Um, at the back end of, of last year and yeah, the priority this it's year it's a balancing act though isn't it because you've got to deliver that once you've made those those big games yeah look what we absolutely don't want to be is a, is a is somebody who's just you know flogging huge cars to anybody who pitches up and setting up a website to, to buy your parts that's not our intention at all it's, a, it's about a uh, a personal touch and everybody who we you know who has who has bought a car from us or who we are racing with we've met personally and we've discussed with them personally tom spends huge amounts of time on the phone making sure people are happy we go and see them we visit them and that personal touch you can only do with a with a, a, a close set of 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 partners you cannot do that with a huge number of people and so that's our priority is to make sure that that you know, by buying into racing with a with a Bentley, you're buying into being part of a family, and so we've got to treat you with a, as, in that way and make sure that you're loved and cared for and protected in, the, in that. And if then that is the case, I suppose the ultimate question is, where does Bentley Motorsport fit into Bentley Motors? Um, I've seen you move, I've seen the department move at least a couple or three times. This is a new place that I haven't seen before in fact we're going to have a wee look round and do an inside story for a, a later date on uh, uh, radio show limited 
where is the position of, of motorsport within the longer-term plans of, of Bentley Motors? So Bentley has always taken a unique position as a brand and being simultaneously a luxury brand and a performance brand. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a very difficult thing to try and do, to compete with, with um, other brands on the, on the luxury side and then at the same time compete with them on the, on the performance side. Now, Bentley's emphasis is definitely far more towards the towards the luxury side. When you buy into to, 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 you know, owning a Bentley, that luxury aspect is the most important aspect of, of the car. But you expect a level of performance which can, which can match um, any type of supercar that you, can, that you can buy out there. Now, for certain customers, they want a little bit more than that. And so slightly more than a you know, 620 horsepower GT, if that's your, that's your flavor, we can offer them the ultimate level of, of performance in terms of real customer experience. And it's all about those, those, those customer experiences, those extraordinary experiences, those extraordinary journeys that we, that we give. That's the flavor of what the, the motorsport end of Bentley is about. So, so in terms of you know, people who know a bit about Bentley, so it's, it's not unlike what, say, Mulner would do in terms of a, an absolute bespoke road car. You're saying that Bentley Motorsport could be seen as, and in fact is seen internally as, the ultimate Bentley in terms of performance. If you want to go and race it, if you want to go and track it, all that kind of thing, it, it just becomes almost another department of Bentley Motors that showcases everything about Bentley that is Bentley. Yeah, exactly right. Couldn't have put it better myself. So the Mulliner sort of brackets the far end of luxury. So if you really want something bespoke, you really want something which is ultimate luxury, Mulliner is the place you go to. And if you really want something which is at the ultimate performance end of what Bentley is, we're the opposite end of that. We're the far right bracket in that equation. I love it. I absolutely love it. Now all I need is the lottery numbers this weekend, and I'll come back and spec something up for you. Paul, congratulations on your appointment. Thanks for having us here. Tom, congratulations on a very busy winter, and good luck for the coming seasons. Gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Brilliant day up at Bentley Motorsport at Crew. Thank you very much indeed. And that's not the last you'll hear of Bentley Motorsport, because whilst we were there, we did an inside story as well uh, and you'll hear that in the next week or so maybe a little bit uh, longer than that but we'll get that out for you uh, thank you very much to all concerned uh, Bex Sophie and the guys we talked to as well uh, and we did get um, ferried backwards and forwards to Motorsport Central in a very nice drivetrain development Bentayga which I rather fell in love with. Midweek Motorsport, uh, it is just coming up to half past nine uh, here in the UK. So we're halfway through the second half uh, of the show this evening. Uh, Curry's up in London. Uh, Nick Damon is uh, back on the line with us, having been listening in. A a race car with a three-year... Unlimited mileage warranty on the engine. Extraordinary. Well, considering you couldn't get you couldn't get a British car to last twelve months in the seventies, so we have come a long way, haven't we? Well, and this is a race car we're talking about. I mean, a race car. I know. I know. Extraordinary stuff, uh, and just a testament, I suppose, to the work that the guys uh, are doing. I, and I, I heard what Paul was saying in his explanation about it, but I still think that's a, a phenomenal. Absolutely uh, phenomenal. Um, now, uh, 
there was something very exciting that happened at Bentley today, which you'll hear about in the uh, inside story. Uh, return to prototypes, not written off there as well, Nick. And um, I, I suppose, you know, we've, we've heard this before from manufacturers. They've got to keep an eye on things, and it would give them an opportunity to be at the front of the field, which is what they've always said they wanted to do at Bentley. Well, they've got a distinctive front-end design. They've got a distinctive colour scheme, so they could easily do... Uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called now. What's the M- LM? Hybrid, was it DPI 2? LMDH. DPI 2. DPI 2.0, yes, that's that's still the best way of referring to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure no one no one in their right mind is going to uh, to build one from scratch if they haven't already signed it off. So Toyota and probably Peugeot and Lickenhouse and everyone else is going to do it the cheaper way, especially with, with uh, BOP. BOP, yes, absolutely. Uh, let's stay with sports cars for the moment. Still to come, well, we've got the responsible adult with uh, her look at uh, what's going on in sport and we'll try and get Dex back uh, Declan Brennan as well uh, uh, to talk about motorcycles in, in a moment um, just earlier during the show in fact the entry list for Super Sebring came out uh, it is yeah, right, okay. yeah very excited <laughs> 30... I haven't got that no no <laughs> uh, uh, well yeah get that up whilst I'm talking we'll do Le Mans in a second uh, Put up. 30 cars well do you want to do Le Mans first then as you've got that up I got that yeah because we actually did some pre-planning on this bit no, no that's that, that's fine um, so um, Le Mans no mm-hmm. major um, surprises other perhaps than that Collis who we had heard wanted to come back with their LMP1 non-hybrid Aren't, weren't involved, but they, they haven't kind of been involved very much this year, have they? No, they're not involved. In, they're not taking part in any ACO series, though they have shown quite a lot of loyalty. Well, they've shown a lot of loyalty to enter the beginning of ACO series. They haven't done a, a complete season at any point, of my memory. Uh, they are first reserved for all prototypes. So if any of the, uh, well, it's unlikely the six P1 cars drop out, any of the 24 P2 cars drop out, they will be the first car into the uh the running, these, these, you know, if you, if you, what you've basically got is you've got six LMP1 cars, five of which are full-season WEC entries, and you've got the second Rebellion racing car, which is also, I think, right, which ran at Silverstone, it's also run at Spa, so it's half a season. Mm. So they have kind of chosen the six cars you're going to choose. And of course, the Genesis did miss uh, the last race at Cota for logistical reasons, so they are back in, in Spa, which seems fair. And, of course, the key thing to know about P1, John, is that the ridiculous handicap system is non-existent for Le Mans. So they'll be running at maximum speed. So it'll be Toyota versus reliability. Uh, so Rebellion with two cars. The full-season WEC entry for Senna, Nato and Menezes. Winners last time out will be joined by Romain Dumas, uh, Nat Berton and uh, Louis Delatraz, of course. Uh, Team LNT are in there with the five and the six car, just the lead drivers for those two at the moment. Toyota Gazoo Racing with the TSO 50 Hybrid, Conway Kobayashi Lopez in the seven, and Buemi Nakajima and Hartley in the eight. Uh, Good to see the spread of uh, entries in... um, LMP2, which includes, obviously... Yeah, a disappointment for yeah, Magnussen, of course, because his all Danish car is quite, I think, a long way down on the reserve list, yes. the second high-class car, um, which will break a lot. I, I did read this earlier. I'm sorry, I haven't got the thing. I think he's done 20 in a row or something, or 19 in a row. And that'll break that run. The Richard Mail race team uh, with the number 50, Catherine Legg, Tatiana Calderon and Sophia Flush, 
um, in there, um, incorrectly um, noted by the uh, BBC on their website that uh, only the second ever all-female team, uh, completely neglecting the, uh, the the entry last year and the 24 others from the, the 1920s onwards, but hey-ho, it's it's only a Google away, BBC. History, history only started on the, on the front page of Wikipedia, you know that. Ah, indeed. Uh, can't, uh, the, can't be to scroll down. No, indeed. LMP2s, uh, 24 of them, as you said, with four of the five um, LMP chassis constructors. Um, and uh, a good spread between, obviously the WEC entry has to be there because it's a round of their championship, um, but good to see uh, uh, a few more of the ELMS. I mean, if there's, a, if there's a silver lining to the P1 law numbers, it is that there can be more P2s uh, and more GTE AMs in particular that come out of the ELMS championship and, and, and yeah, the Asian Le Mans series. It's support. It's it's great for the racing community because it supports the actual people who go there and race in the series. It's not great news for the ACO because the two classes which have manufacturers in GTO Pro down to eleven cars. I think is the lowest for nine years. I think maybe ten years. Um, maybe maybe since it's been called ET Pro and only six. Um, and only one actual manufacturer in LMP1 is. To, yeah, we, we talk about is is it's not good for the ACO's activation mm. budget or activation cash income. Um, but yeah, for racing, us racing fans, I think it's, it, you know, I, I don't want to get too down the whole situation because, you know, Toyota have single-handedly propped up the, the, Correct. the LMP1 for a number of years, but they are racing against themselves and reliability. So what, so do we need a lot of P1 cars not having a chance? Let's have races where the other three classes, where we don't know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, GTE Pro in particular was superb last year, so was ARM. Uh, it has already been this year, and it seems no matter how many or how few, we always get a race. We've got four manufacturers here in Corvette with their new C8R, um, which presumably will have a better BOP by the time it gets there, uh, because the ACO will have more data. Ferraris are plenty, uh, and Porsche and Aston Martin uh, in Pro uh, and in Am, um, how many Pro Porsches are there? There are four. There's four Pro Porsches. GTM basically it is a Porsche versus Ferrari battle with about 112 Ferraris and 106 Porsches, then a couple of Aston Martin interlopers in there as well. But it's an absolutely stormy number of Ferrari 488s. Well, and, and you know why that is? Because they're a good car and they're relatively easy to drive and they're easy to get. And, you know, if... And they've got and there are a couple of teams you can you can pay to run them for you, be well, it AFPOS or, um, or an Aldi. So it's, it means if you are actually an amateur, you can, you know, turn up with your cash on a Thursday or a Friday and run with an excellent team, and either with two, two teammates or be a, a paying member of a three random people thing. And... It's what you need to do. It's all about the team that's running, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I I think that's not a bad field given the current uh, climate. Ten uh, reserve cars. You've got the innovative car as well. Yeah, so which... so I mean, also yeah, the innovative cars. Yeah, which is um, I I had to read about this. It's, it's uh, every single person is um, is differently able, aren't they? They've got, they've got different levels of um, including a former uh, motorcycle yeah. rider. Yeah, so it would be interesting to see that one because obviously it comes on the back of what Frederick Suisse's car back. How many years ago was that now, John? The Suisse uh, car was that three years ago. Well, for, this is Fred Suisse's team, and he's running the team. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but this cut when he ran, I can't remember. It was anyway, that was that was an amazing thing to see. That really. But was. if you remember, um, that was that only ran that in the Road to Le Mans race. No, they ran in, they ran in Le Mans, didn't they? They ran in the Road to Le Mans to start with, for sure. Well, they actually ran the end of the month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's got that? The year, I can't remember which year it was. Um, yeah, and then, and then, and then reserves. You know, the bike college is the most interesting one that because it's like the first prototype to drop out will be, if anyone does, and it's obviously you know, much more solid. You know, because these these are not in, as they were in the past. You know, chucking in an entry, hoping the best. These are established racing teams. Got established racing programs. If there's a disappointment for me, uh, the reserve cars uh, Spirit of Race didn't get a full entry. They'll be disappointed with that for. Um, the guys there because they've been relatively speaking a staple at Le Mans haven't they and they've supported ACO championships but this is the problem when you've got a cap yeah and yeah, you've got a number of, 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 of you know it looks really you know, if you want to get a GTM berth at Le Mans these days you, you, you're going to either need to do the WEC and there's a number in the WEC or you need to be doing particularly well uh, in European Le Mans or, or you know or Asian Le Mans and get one of the auto entries but uh yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Though. I think it's always like this point. We, we, we do have sixty-two cars again, so we're going to have the the lean twos at the uh, at pit in. Yes. So they are, you know, getting as many as possible in there. But if it, it's you know, it's a, it's a it's a fact of life that, you know, my feeling is if there were eighty spots, even though they they they've only got ten reserve, they could if, if more if people knew there were more opportunities to run, there'd be more entries. That makes sense. I think there was just you know you find people. Yeah, I, I think, think this is everyone. Who, I think everyone who's entered, I think, from what I read, has either got a spot or a reserve spot. But obviously, there are a number of people who are running in some of the other series just didn't bother entering because you know they knew they were going to get there and they didn't want to get their hopes up or anything else. But if they, if you had eighty or ninety garages, then I'm sure you've got eighty or ninety cars and good ones now. Not not like there'd be no mate weights anymore. And and of course, the irony of that is there's room on the track that just isn't room uh, in. Mm-hmm. In the pit lane, and that that is the that is the the issue with what's going on. Uh, let let's move very quickly on to Sebring, which is uh, a little bit before that. We'll we'll have a full Le Mans preview, of course, coming up. We've got the Formula One uh, and IndyCar previews coming up as well in the next few weeks. Keep an eye on the schedules uh, for that. The big thing for me for the thousand miles of Sebring, which will run from midday local. On the Friday, is Team LNT are back with the Genetics. We wondered whether they would be. Well, they're on the list. So that then swells the LMP1 list to five cars. Uh, and it does kind of, uh, I think it does affect, and I'll, I'll have to speak to Johnny, the voice of the WEC for us on this, about how that affects the rolling uh, success handicap uh, with that that situation with those guys coming in and whether that will therefore affect Spa going afterwards. Uh, no surprises in LMP2. Um, Jota's license, entrance license perhaps, hasn't been uh, seen for some reason according to this entry list, which is a bit of an odd one. So seven LMP2s, great LMP2 race at Cota. GT Pro, all the usual suspects. Uh, there. Oh, and I should remind, you, uh, remind everybody that at Le Mans, Reese are back in at Le Mans as well. That was the yeah. other thing that also I meant. You've got a, yeah, and, there's, and there's, of course, there's a Corvette running at Sebring as well. Yes. And they're backing up their Cota run with a Sebring run as well. And that, again, is Jan Magnussen and Mike Rockenfeller. They're going through their programme, getting ready for Spa and for, more importantly, for Le Mans 
so that's a two F Corsa, Ferraris, a Corvette, two Porsches, and two Aston Martins. And then in GT, um, 11 further cars for a total of 30. I think they'll be pretty happy uh, with that. Uh, as far as the Ginettis, great to see Guy Smith, whose name I was looking at on a car only today, along with Chris Dyson and Mike Simpson, uh, Charlie Robinson, uh, Robertson, uh, Ben Hankey and Jordan King in the other team LNT car. And I don't think, as I'm looking through, there's any major surprises anywhere else. No, that is pretty much as we had expected. Uh, any further comments, uh, Nick, on the um, no. situation with uh, those entry lists? No, the only thing is, I think that the the that the Sebring weekend is just about the only weekend not in doubt at the moment, isn't it? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, we will come to that in a moment. Shall we do? Uh, um, before we get uh, decks up, and I'll I'll keep you on if uh, you don't mind, uh, yeah. Nick. Uh, I'd like to keep you on so that we can uh, talk a bit of bikes in a moment or two's time. But first of all, I want to say good evening to the responsible adult, our very own Eve, uh, Eve Hewitt. Uh, uh, who has joined me this evening. Good evening, Eve. Hello. Uh, And you are here to talk logistics, because that's what you do. Uh, And uh, logistics and motorsport uh, go together hand in glove. And what logistics and planning don't like are uncertainties. And with coronavirus, we have a lot of those. What's the the situation with motorsport at the moment? Plenty of uncertainty. Plenty of uncertainty, plenty of not very good reporting. Uh, <laughs> Why am I not surprised? And an awful lot of waiting for things to change and uh, and move on, to be honest. Uh, IMSA today have come out with a... Uh, statement. With a statement, yeah. which is entirely understandable and it seems to me entirely sensible. Uh, the gist uh, of which is we're keeping an eye on it. We're waiting to hear... Um, uh, they're saying they wanted to update everyone on the activities and precautions, the health, safety and well-being of industry, employees, fans and everyone. Uh, top priority, actively monitoring this situation. The bottom line is wash your hands. Are you going to say that many times in this this oh. piece? Uh, they're working with the uh, CDC, which in the US is the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention, the World Health Organisations, as well as federal, state and local authorities. Uh, at this time, there are no changes to regular operations. Our competition schedule across all series remains unchanged. And remember, there's a Porsche race coming up along with IndyCar and St. Pete's before we get to Sebring. We ask fans, employees, partners to follow basic hygiene precautions uh, such as frequent hand washing, use of hand sanitizer, and covering coughs and sneezes appropriately. I.e. not with your hand. Yes, or with a tissue and throwing well, it in correct. the bin straight away. What Formula One has been up in arms about a number of things, um, but particularly there's been a, um, a bit of unhelpful reporting, as you mentioned, about apparently Ross Braun saying, oh, it's, bit, it's we're... we're part of the union here it's one out all out if if you say that one of our teams can't come none of us are coming we're, we're going to you know put your arm up your back Which, and that's not what he said is it no and when i read the, the story to start with today i i did say what well, seems hugely unreasonable because what you're saying is effectively we're going to we're going to hold you to ransom by saying if you try and restrict any of our teams coming in then there'll be no grand prix but when you go back and read what he actually said mm. he said in effect no he actually did say 
if we have a race and there are teams that can't attend, it won't be a world championship race. Yeah. That's it. He didn't say the race won't happen. He just said mm. it can't be a world championship unless everybody who wants to attend can attend. If there are teams who choose not choose not to attend for whatever reason, that's up to them. And they would therefore, assuming everybody else turned up, they would forego um, any point scoring opportunity in that round in terms of their world championship but uh, what he's what he's saying is it won't be a world championship if there are teams who are not able to attend which i kind of understand i mean there's there's ways you could get round that um by uh you could make it nick damon a, a championship uh that was 15 out of 22 rounds or you know 20 however many rounds have to be missed yeah exactly i i genuinely don't believe that anyone has any interest in running non-championship rounds anymore no um no i mean the the tv companies might like it fom might like it but the teams aren't interested in doing it there's all sorts of but um, instead of saying it's a non-championship round you could say there are seven let's say there were seven events that were disrupted then instead of it being a 22 round championship it would still be a 22 round championship but it would be 15 out of 22 to catch. Yeah, I mean, there is a possibility you could throw drop scores in like they did yeah. when they made the mistake with the start at Paul Ricard all those years ago with the Porsches. But unfortunately, it would still disadvantage the team that had to drop a particular score. Um, I mean, the issue really is is that logistically, it looks like they're, they're going to be able to get into Australia. The problem is where do they go from there? There's no issues for the Brits or the, the Swiss the or the Germans. It, that, I don't think that'll change within within the time because they'll all have left, basically. They'll be leaving this weekend, and I can't see those rules changing. But the problem is that both Bahrain and Thailand are trying to put in a two-week um, quarantine period for people leaving Italy, which is specifically particularly important for Alfa Tori, Ferrari, and Pirelli. And let's uh, have um, more from Eve on this. Who's up on that? The, 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 there's two things with that. Yes, you could leave people where they are, i.e. Yeah. not bring them all home. But as I think it was Chris Medlin said earlier today, that's a massive cost. Mm. You know, okay, so you've got you can take out the cost of flying them backwards and forwards. It's a massive cost and it these are people with families and you're basically asking them to 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 not go home between mm. races where they would expect to go home. Bahrain is talking about a possible F one exemption uh, with conditions and that would be tracked travel prior to arriving and um, screening screening when they land. Uh, and, and that being the case, um, provided you're asymptomatic and you can tell them exactly where you've been and they want all of that in advance, mm-hmm. um, they will still they will still allow the Formula One teams and those people associated with them into Bahrain. Close at the home and away from Formula One, because let's remind ourselves it's not just about Formula One as far as motorsports concerned. We've already lost a couple of motorcycle races. Well, you've lost... You've lost... MotoGP's not going to be at Qatar, but Moto3 and Moto2 Moto at the GP moment are. MotoGP won't be at Qatar or Thailand. Right. Moto2 and 3 will go ahead in Qatar. Um, Spain's obviously at risk as well, because that's relatively that's relatively soon. Um, World Superbikes has lost Qatar. Testing. Super Tycoon and Super GT testing will both happen behind... Clo- have, hang on, one of them's happened. happened behind, behind closed, closed doors. doors yeah. GT Open has a plan for their testing and Formula E has postponed the Sanya round. Oh really? Okay. Um, yeah. Oh yes, that's right. That was the one that was going to clash with Sebring, wasn't it? You know, but but the, 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 anybody who says they know how this is going to work out, I rather doubt. 
I rather doubt anybody knows how this is going to work in out Euro- right now. In European terms, Italy is the problem. Italy with, is the problem right now. With zero cases uh, just over two weeks ago and 3,000 cases at the, min- at the minute or something ridiculous. Um, and that's, of course, you only know how many cases you've got if you actually test people testing. who are showing symptoms. So actually nobody knows how many cases there are and how many people are walking around not showing symptoms but spreading spreading the virus. Um, what's happening in Italy? There, there was a, a news report I heard today that said they were considering, and in fact then I heard that they were going to close their schools and universities. All their schools and universities. There is for a, two weeks. There's a ban on all sporting events except those that can take place behind closed doors. Now, nobody has been clear yet what that means for any motorsport in Italy. Right. Because you might you might have it behind closed doors. Right. But you've just invited a whole load of foreigners yeah. into a city. Well, people from outside a quarantine area or correct. whatever. Yeah. And, and they could be coming from anywhere. Short answer is it's a moving target. Yeah, no one knows. And everybody's going to have to react to it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it is, it's awful because, I mean, you and I were having this conversation today in the car, which is, you know, it, I'm not saying that, that Monza 12 hours will be cancelled, but let's say for the sake of argument, because of what's happening initially, it does get cancelled. Unless the Foreign Commonwealth Office says you can't go to Italy, mm. we're in a really difficult position in terms of cancelling hotels and air, uh, and airline flights. Yeah. Um, and so are all the teams and so is anybody else who is the going other to be s- The other side of this, and, and, and let's bear in mind, by the way, that these are very much first world problems with, with people who are, are talking about motorsport, for which, for a lot of us, and us included, it's our business, but people are losing their lives. Yes, here. and I was going to say, none of this is bigger than the global health issue. Correct. And the fact that there are people dying. And we, and and you do, I, I know people are, there's some awful headlines. There was a de- terrible headline that flashed up on my, ter- on my timeline about, oh, this killer virus. Well, okay, it's, technically it is, um, but not for the majority of people that get it so far. Yeah. Uh, but the much bigger issue is what happens if you then end up with an epidemic in your general population and that makes, yeah. you know, and that fills up your morgues and it fills up your hospitals and, 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 and then there's a knock on effect to everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my point about, yes, we can argue about first world problems and how it affects us, but there is a much bigger issue at stake. And, and I think that's where we, we leave that for the moment. Eve, thank you very much. He's keeping an eye. Of course, the thing's changing every day. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, it may have already changed. And uh, I uh, I apologise if, if that is uh, the case. Uh, take, first of all, say good evening to Declan Brennan. Hi, Dex. How are you? I'm, I'm tremendous. I, I, I'm in a uh, busy, uh, busy eatery, which is... I haven't done this uh, for a long time. The last time I did, the man interrupted me to, to uh, agree with me that Tony George was not good for IndyCar. And that's going, going back about 12 years. Yeah, so, uh, I remember. I'm hoping nobody interrupts me. So, yes, I, I want to do I a have, co- uh, I have the Go on. Oh, go ahead. Oh, just because I have the Bee Gees playing You Should Be Dancing Behind Me, which I'm sure Nick will now join in with. You, sh- you Should Be Dancing Behind Me. That must have been the remix. I'm, I'm not sure. Todd Terry remix on that one. I'm not sure. A uh, couple of tweets before we do uh, end up off the show tonight with some um, with some motorcycle uh, news. Kevin Payne says, uh, while I appreciate Bicolus LMP1 entries, I'm underwhelmed by their performance. 
Uh, not sure what they get from being at Le Mans 24. Well, I presume they sell the seats, Kevin, uh, to be honest. Uh, mention of Zanvo earlier, and Dave Olcock has posted uh, the onboard lap. I think I might have done that as well, but I'll retweet that again on Atspectutainment, which we heard the soundtrack to earlier. Sarah Rigby wishing Bentley Racing all the best and looking forward to that inside programme that we mentioned. Yeah, keep your ears open for that. Uh, Central European travellers who encounter limitations uh, cannot enter Israel anymore. So that's interesting as well. Thanks, RTL, for that. Uh, Paul Sharp says, meant to be making Florida trip to Sebring and catching GP, keeping my well-washed fingers crossed that everything stays as planned. I think the problem there is things are changing so quickly you could go somewhere one day and it'd be fine. And then you might find you've got to spend two weeks in quarantine on the way back, particularly going to, uh, to Italy. Gentlemen, not much time left to talk about what was a stunning weekend of uh, world... Superbikes at Phillip Island. The point that is always made about Phillip Island, it turns up some great results. It's not necessarily a portent for the rest of the season, Dex, but oh my God, what a re- first time in uh, ever, well, not ever, but for a very long time, that we've had three different winners over the weekend. And uh, hands up, those of you in World Supersport and World Superbikes that had first retirements in both races, therefore the first retirements of the season, to be the defending world champions. Oh, have we lost, Dex? He's gone, I think. Oh, yes. That was a surprise, John. Yes. <laughs> Go on, carry on. I'll. Uh, I'll no, I'll, I mean, I, mean, I think, I think it was. It was yeah, I know Declan will, will will be happy because we're in full agreement that it was an absolutely fantastic triumphant race, and it's the first time we've had three race winners over the weekend. Of course, it's only the uh, second year of the three race format. So, uh, and last year, Jonathan Ray or. Alvaro Bautista are always winning a couple of weekends. But we started off with a fantastic race. First lap round, Tom Sykes bashes off his, his ex-teammate and former star, sparring partner. It was a, a racing incident. It wasn't deliberate. No, no. Jonathan Ray goes to the kitty litter, races back and just pushes too hard and falls up. We then have a fantastic uh, battle, which ends up with top rack. Razigalotu. Uh, how, how do we say that? His, how, I'm sorry. How do uh, we say that? Razigalotu. Top rack, anyway. Dex. Uh, how are we seeing that, Dex? Top rack. Oh, well, I can hear Dex. Hello. Hello. Oh. No, I was I was struggling to hear you. So uh, you mentioned top rack. Huge win for him. Yes. Huge win for him in in insofar as uh, Nick saying that he was wasn't going to be a factor this year, etc. Uh, etc. Et uh, what did surprise me was well, I was generally surprised by. Uh, the parity between him and Vandermark, I expected Tobark to be to be faster. Uh, I was also Nick generally blown away by how good Alex Lowe's was. Yeah, uh, yeah, me too. He, Very surprised. He was. He also, you know, what what I found the most interesting part about that was, he didn't seem to have any fear of Ray. I I look at what Sykes did, and I feel there was a little bit of that was 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 uh, an unforced error because of it was Jonathan Ray, and he was also pushing very hard. Uh, at the start, trying to to break away, knowing that that and that, again, if you're a BMW, that bike has serious issues mm. in from a tire wear perspective. Uh, I don't know if you if you noticed this, Nick, but he yeah. finished ninth, and Laverty, by taking it easy, finished eleventh. They basically finished in the same place, uh, you know, in in the standings, taking two completely different uh, approaches to the uh, to, to to the tire wear issue. 
But Dex, uh, Dex and Nick, um, as we said, there, uh, Phillip Island is such an outlier in some respects, Nick. Do we can we take anything in terms of a, a litmus test for the season from that? If you haven't watched it, I, I apologise. If if you know, we, 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 we're not going to go into the details of every race. Basically, go and watch it. There were three fantastic races, three very different characters of races. But but Nick, can you? Can we extrapolate that forward and say, well, this is what it's going to be like for the whole season? I think we can definitely say that we now have um, three manufacturers who can win at any circuit. Both Ducati, um, Yamaha and Kawasaki all look strong in different places. And, and, and you know, we, we've been used to seeing these these early races, this uh, Philip Island races being a procession won by Ducati. So, it's, you know, it's, it's good to see that. Honda started well, and they'll obviously grow from there. Both uh, Bautista recovered from a bad start to get a decent result in the third race. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's what you can say. It looks like it's going to be open. Johnny Ray still looked pretty imperious, and, and he was already playing the percentage game when he let Lowe's pass in that third race, I think. He's already on the long on the long haul. But the key point we have to discuss, um, it's really important we discuss before we run out of time, John, is how many top five does Loris Baz get? Ah, uh, yes. He didn't he didn't have any. And uh, Nick, Nick, I am I am more than willing to hold my hand up. Uh, he let's uh, yes, uh, he absolutely didn't get any top fives. But he also uh, He ran in the top five some, a lot. Um, he, he led at one point on a on a on a 2020 bike with a 2019 engine, I think Tenkara, nine out of Tenkara, when they get their uh, their uh, 2020 engine, are going to be an absolute force. He was, at times, he looked terrific in yeah. that. Uh, and, and yes, he also was fell victim to, to Toprak's retirement because basically he got caught in turn four, if I remember correctly. Correct. As top. So uh, not all his his doing, but. I was very impressed by him generally, considering uh, he is riding metaphorically with one hand tied behind his right, back. Right. Be- before we run out of time, I do. You, you mentioned Nick um, about the three manufacturers. I, I do want to mention Honda because uh, they, they came back. There's some Tarantara. Uh, and Dex, I don't think Honda will be desperately disappointed with the weekend. I, I think they'll no. go. Oof, you fellow, that's all right. No, I agree. I at one stage with about six or seven laps to go. Bautista was catching the lead group in race one. He, he had the fastest lap of the race. He suddenly granted this, the, the, the race pace in race one was a little slow. Uh, but uh, he has a, in race trim there, he seems to have found a little bit. And ultimately, his mistake was made in the in the race that counts the least for points. Yeah. So he had two sixths on a, on a, on a 16th. But actually, he probably will have walked away going, yeah, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm most impressed. Yeah, go John on. And, uh, Scott Redding. Yeah, three, that was my next... That was... Can we... Listen, guys, if we don't agree about Top Rack and, and Loris Baggs, you two, can we at least, Nick, agree that Scott Redding... We, we flagged it up before the start of the season when we were talking about this last week. Can, can we at least agree that, that he's got a decent season ahead of him? Yep, he's the only problem he's got. Is he's going to have the same issue that Bautista had towards the back end of the season, where he starts going to tracks they don't do in MotoGP. Mm. But the, the early tracks, well, actually, we've lost Qatar now. The early tracks are tracks they share, but then they run, do a run towards the back end of the season of, of one, tracks he won't have been to. Um, but no, it was great. He completely um, beat Chas Davis, which, which I didn't expect. He was—he looked like he was enjoying it. 
Um, and I think there's no reason why he won't be competitive at most of the circuits. I think, yeah, this is the point. That, yeah, you kind of think that you're going to see, as, as Declan says, top right looking very good as well. So let's see what happens, you know, going forward. I'm, I'm very, it's very, very exciting. It's just pity now you've got to wait so long because they called the second round off, honestly. Yeah, uh, and, and we should say that uh, it didn't, not knowing tracks... Uh, as Curry has pointed out, who's our engineer and executive producer tonight, Dex, not knowing tracks, didn't seem to just stop Scott Redding um, with well, less uh, electronic in- we, intervention in BSB when he wears the champ. We said that. We said that at the end of last week. We said mm-hmm. a, a fellow who who had to learn a Brit who had to learn British tracks ended up winning the championship. And yeah, absolutely. His, I think he walked away. He kind of intimated a little bit. He walked away. thinking, yeah, he left a bit behind. And what what, what is frightening is. The, the outright pace of the Yamaha and the Kawasaki. I, yeah. I would have last year. You would have said, yeah, the and the year before and the Malandri era. You would have expected him to blast by them on the run to the flag. It didn't happen. Uh, it was th- those bikes are so interestingly equal now. Uh, and and th- th- I'll finish off where we started with Alex mm-hmm. Lowe's. Alex Lowe's was brilliant. And Jonathan Ray might might have a fight on his hands from his own teammate, which he hasn't had for a long time. Uh, Alan Prosser says, every time I hear Dex say eight out of ten, uh, eight out of ten car tier does count down. Uh, I always hear Jimmy Carr's laugh in my head. Uh, go and look it, it up if you don't know. What time's your flight, Dex? Oh, not for another. I've got more work to do. I, I came to the airport early, so I get eaten and do more work. So because obviously, you know, you broke uh, my news story today, so I have to thank you for that. And 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 can I give you my official? official uh, comment on that that it's very very exciting and i'm delighted and can't wait to go to long beach never been there before have you and, not? Uh, and never been to long beach never c- competed there never even been i've been oh, i've been to long beach but not when racing was on of course that's my job yeah so uh, i'm looking forward to it immensely uh, I would thank- i'm on my way to Thanks, Austin, right now for racing. Uh, good luck at that this weekend uh, for the the thank first you. round of GT America, and thank you very much for allowing us. And and I, I, I think we were a little bit ahead of the embargo, but it was we were allowed to do that because uh, that was the exclusive. So Dex, thanks to you, and best of luck to the rest of Gradient at the weekend. Uh, Nick, thanks for being oh, fly safely, Dex, um, and uh, thanks to Nick Damon for being on as well. Kerry was up in London. Uh, Nick, a final word from you? Uh, I Just one wild or two bike. I'm never going to say someone's not going to be in the top five again because I really didn't enjoy rooting against someone. Mm, and there must have been a couple of times when you saw BAZ on the uh, timing tower. It was a bit far up. Uh, the Llama won't be doing anything this week because, frankly, still in the huff after us mentioning Gorillas last week. Uh, stay tuned for Nick and the Aston Martin Valkyrie. Don't forget, tomorrow uh, we have a double for you because it's Big Thursday. It happens once every month. Starting at 8 o'clock, it's the Toro Radio Show, and then Richard Creel and the guys with On The Grid. That's all for this week's edition of Midweek Motorsport. It'll be episode 10 uh, this time next week. Well, not this time next week, actually, two hours ago. Uh, Curry was up in London. The responsible adult was everywhere, including in the studio this week, and this will be up as an archive item as soon as humanly possible. Well, sooner, actually, because it's Curry. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.